0: B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth.
1: Well, we lost a legend, didn't we, over the weekend? All of us. I felt like Bill Shonley was uh, not just the mayor of Rip City. We named him that on this radio show. But he was also... Uh, He was also our best friend. He was a city's best friend. How many people can you say that about? Rip City, baby. If you're a Bill Shonley fan, you're going to want to be here. If you're somebody who loves nostalgia, you're going to want to be here. If you are uh, a longtime Blazer fan, a casual observer, I don't even think you need to necessarily have been a diehard NBA fan. I think Bill Shonley meant... Something bigger to a lot of people. We interviewed him on this radio show so many times. Hours and hours of interviews. I've gone over and poured through them. And I have some of my favorite Bill Shonley stories in his words on the show. I want your memories of Sean's, too, off the top of the show today. Uh, Bill Shonley died at the age of 93 on Saturday. Uh, His caretaker texted me at about uh, 1.50, 2.50 in the morning. Uh, I was traveling. I was in Arizona, so I was on mountain time, so it must have been about 1.50 in the morning, uh, Portland time. Bill Shanley was uh, at the Senior Living Center. I visited him there last week. I didn't talk about it. I didn't write about it. Uh, Frankly, I think Shanley would have liked me to write about it, but, you know, there were... There was just, it was delicate. I felt like I was visiting Bill Shonley more as a friend than I was a media member last week. But in the course of our conversation at the Senior Living Center, uh, we got on the subject of you. We got on the subject of you, the fan, you, the listener, uh, the people who Bill Shonley encountered over the years on the concourse of Moda Center, uh, at gas stations, uh, in restaurants, at... Uh, grocery stores. Um, you know, he was getting his mail once. I got an email from somebody who said, "I saw Bill Shanley getting his mail." Like that's the he was the kind of person that people, uh, you know, came into contact with and came away feeling good about him. And I think it's one of the things that's beautiful about Bill Shanley's legacy in Portland. You know, we always we always use the aftermath of somebody's life to talk glowingly about their accomplishments, who they were as a person, their family. We say we say things like they lived a good life. Bill Shonley was 93 years old. He lived a long life. He also lived a great life and one of the things that I'm struck by and maybe you are too as you think about his legacy is you know over the years I never heard anybody have a bad interaction with Bill Shonley. I never heard anybody say I ran into him And he was cranky. I I ran into it. Cut me off in traffic. Uh, You know, I asked him for a photo, asked him if he had time, and he said, I'm too busy. Nobody, nobody gave me any of those stories over the years. And certainly not uh, between, you know, Saturday and today did I hear anything but people talk lovingly and glowingly about, uh, you know, Bill Shonley, the mayor of Rip City, the inventor of the phrase Rip City. But today's radio show is going to be a little bit about you and your relationship with Bill Shonley. Uh, I want your phone calls now, off the top of the show. Tell me about your interactions with him. Tell me, you know, what did he mean to you? Uh, Was it the relationship you had with him, broadcaster to fan? You were on your living room floor, on the carpet of your grandparents' house or your parents' house, and you were listening to the horns and wherever you may be, and Bill Shonley came on the radio, and he connected you in a way that radio could connect a team as a play-by-play broadcaster of the 1970s. 1980s and 1990s, as only a broadcaster could. It's different now. It is. I think the play-by-play broadcasters of today are in a different kind of relationship. Uh, Bill Shanley, uh, you'll hear in some of the stories that he tells on today's shows. As I asked him about broadcasting, and I asked him about uh, uh, you know his his career and his friendships and relationships, you will hear how different the NBA of the 1970s, 80s, and 90s was from the NBA that Bill Shonley saw in the last couple of few years. Uh, i got to be honest. Um, You know, I wasn't really here. I wasn't in the market when Bill Shonley was on the air as the play-by-play voice of the Trailblazers. I got here right at the tail end. Uh, And I got, you know, Brian Wheeler on the call. And later, you know, you heard uh, Travis DeMers on the call more recently. And... And but my relationship with Bill Shanley, I got to be honest, he reminded me of my grandfather. And I have tremendous respect for people who live long, important lives, especially and I think people who are connected as deeply as Bill Shanley was connected with the community can be called nothing less than important, nothing less than significant. You know, we all want our lives to have meaning. Bill Shanley's life had some meaning. Like, he meant something to you. I could tell. I could tell by the way you greeted him on the concourse. I could tell by the way you talked about him and the way you called into this radio show to tell, uh, to tell me your stories about him over the years. And I want some of those stories now. If you have a Bill Shanley memory, 503-417-7575, like, you won't get an opportunity, probably, to get on the stage at his memorial service and say, hey, this is what he meant to me. I would love for you to get on this radio show and talk about what he meant to you. What is his voice? What did his call? What did the relationship? What did it mean to you when he stopped to uh, take time? And you know how much? How much was that soundtrack of your childhood? You know, due to Bill Shanley and what he did for this community and for so many people over the years. 503-417-7575. Of course, we could start with some of his catchphrases. I brought him on this show uh, to talk about. His catchphrase is Once Upon a Time. And uh, Bill Shonley did not disappoint. I'm talking about stuff like this. Drew takes the ball, spins it inside. Debass patted away by Jerome Kersey to Porter down to Florida Jerome. And he goes
2: over to Duck. Jams it. Bingo, bango, bongo. Yes, sir.
1: There's Bill Shonley. Bingo, bango, bongo. And I remember him coming on this show in 2014 and talking about, you know, the origin of all those. Uh, all those catchphrases that he has it had it wasn't just bingo bango bongo, but it was also, you know, stuff like you got to make your free throws. And, uh, you, know, the, you know, as he caught the Cyclops asked him about that one lickety brindle up the middle. Uh, so many great Bill Shonley calls. It's
2: 102.95. Terry will try to make it 103. And he bangs. he sights, he huffs, he puffs, he puts it down. And it's 103.95. Glaciers have outscored San Antonio 8-2 to two in the last two minutes.
1: He could make a free throw from Terry Porter. He huffs, he puffs. He could make it fantastic. Sound amazing. How about Danny Ainge hitting a three?
2: Rexter on the inbound play. They got to get rid of it. Got to get rid of it. Back out to Cliff Robinson. Cliff Robinson to Clyde. Checking the shot clock. Cliff goes underneath.
1: Bounce pass to Ainge. Ainge for three. Rick.
2: Yes.
1: Sir. I loved having the Seans on this show over the years. Uh, you know, we brought him on on his birthday. We brought him on to you know as we celebrated the 1977 championship every June. Uh, we brought him on, heck, just to talk about the, uh, you know, the Bobby Gross, Daryl Dawkins, Maurice Lucas fight in Game 2 of the 77 Finals. It was Bill Shawnley at his finest, a play-by-play broadcaster thrust into a basketball game that turned into a hockey match.
2: the Gilliam, put it up, doesn't drop, three bad, along with five.
1: Shawnley uh turning a lovely basketball game into a great boxing match call i want your phone calls on that front 503-417-7575 is the number you can line up now i got lines open i want uh, i want to hear your story steve is in portland is going to start us off steve bill Shawnley passes away at the age of 93 over the weekend yeah are you there yeah i'm here you're on oh, okay well, I just wanted to say about the phrase Rip
3: City, I remember we were using that in 1967. And it's a baseball term for when yeah. a pitcher is warming up with a catcher. Yeah, and yeah. Catcher I, I got
1: to tell things. you, Steve, Steve, I played a lot of baseball. This is this is how you want to start? This is how you want to memorialize I, Bill Shanley. Gee, man. Oh, it was a baseball term. It's not a baseball term. I grew up in a baseball family. Never heard Rip City. My dad played professional baseball. I played college baseball. Never heard Rip City, Steve. Stephen, what did Bill Shonley mean to you?
4: Yeah, man, Bill Shonley was awesome, and I never actually got to meet him. Uh, but you know, I believe I was here when you interviewed him once, and I was at a different station where we interviewed him, and I called him on the phone, and just to hear him answer hello. It was, like, it was the coolest thing ever because it's, like, growing up as a kid, I remember, you know, being four or five years old, early 90s, and, like, being around Christmas time, and I'll be with my great-grandma, and, like, at her house, she's yeah. listening to the games, and it's, like, just to hear his voice say hello on the other side and me actually talking to the voice of the Trail Boys is so awesome, and now, you know, it, right now in the present, like, I'm friends with Travis Demers, and, like, my kids know him, and, like, they took their picture with him the other night, and it's, like, they know the voice of the Blazers, and it's like, that is, to me, like, that is so cool that, like, they'll have that memory, just like I had the memory of hearing Bill and like, they can hear him now and say he's the voice of the Blazers, and it just continues that tradition, so, like, it was, it's hard news to hear, but at the same time, like, I had heard things that he wasn't doing great, and he was, you know, 93, like, hopefully, you know, you just have to hope that he's in a better place right now, but, uh, you know, I talked to a couple people, a couple of my friends, and, yeah, it all hit us really hard, like, it wasn't that it was a surprise, and but it wasn't that it was expected at the same time. So, of course, those type of things, uh, you know, affect you. But you know, just a, just a legendary announcer, and uh, you know, he, he will always be remembered in Rip City. I think that's the thing. Like, you, you remember the cause, you remember the voice, and it's just one of those things. It's just legendary, man.
1: Yeah, I you know I I went to see him last week, and Dottie was there. Also, uh, you know, their caretaker was there. And he was sitting in an easy chair in his living room, and uh, he was drinking a cup of coffee. He was, you know, still kind of in his loose-fitting PJs, and, you know, he was really lamenting. His brain was good. His body was failing. He was lamenting that his body was failing him. He couldn't believe that, he, you know, he would never walk again. He kept saying that, and uh, they're telling me I might never walk again. I, don't, I can't believe it. John, what happened to me? What happened? And I said, Sean, you're, you're 93 years old. You're 94. You know, you're, you're pushing towards 94. Like, you know uh i i said you know you still got your brain He goes, i do but i'm having a hard time finding the words and we talked for a while and just as friends and then in the end it was you know him telling me that you know i asked him for blazer fans i said what do you want to say to people what do you want people to know and he says i want them i want people to know that i miss them i miss the people he said it was the best part the people the best part you're the people you get a chance now to uh, tell me your memories of Bill Shonley. David, Mark, uh, some others waiting. I've got two lines open, 503-417-7575. After the break, you take the floor. Also, all day long today, I'm just going to play Bill Shonley clips. He's going to tell some stories. You're going to hear it in his words. So if you love the Shons, if you miss the Shons, you're going to hear him on today's show. We're going to channel his spirit. And, uh, you know, I was sad because uh, I was in Phoenix in... His caretaker reached out and says, Sean's is asking for you. This was on Thursday. And I said, I'm in Phoenix. I'll come see him next week. Saturday, uh, of course, we got the bad news. Um, I'm sad that I didn't get to see him one last time, but I'm grateful that we had so many times that we could visit with Bill Shonley on this show. And I'm, I'm so happy that you got to know him better, I think, through this show. Your phone call's coming up. You got the BFT.
0: You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Woo-hoo!
2: Woo-hoo! Mark Bryant, an inbound play. Who's going to break out? It's Drexler. Turns around, puts it up. It's the oh! basket!
1: He scores at the horn, Clyde Drexler. Bill Shanley on the call. Uh, we are taking your phone calls at 503-417-7575, uh, talking about the Shons. Uh I asked Bill Shanley on this radio show uh, seven years ago. Uh, it was Christmas time, and I asked him about his childhood. Did, what did he get for Christmas? Did he ever get, well, I'll let Bill Shanley tell you. As a kid, was there a Christmas gift that you got that you re- that really stands out, that you remember that one Christmas? Oh, yeah. What was it?
5: It was a Gene
1: Autry cowboy
5: outfit and a pearl-handled pistol. Oh, man. In a holster, and they got me little cowboy boots, <laughs> and I just love that thing.
1: I need a photo of this. <laughs>
5: is, there, is there a photo
1: of Bill Shanley? Gene and-
5: Autry, and then in later years, I worked for the guy. How about that? That's amazing.
1: Bill Shanley always had a story, did he not? Uh, let's go to the phone lines four one seven seventy five seventy five in the five hundred three area code.
6: Mark is in Portland. Mark, your memories. Oh yeah, just I mean, so many memories with it was I've lived here my whole life, and uh, you know, we were in high school when the Blazers uh, won the NBA championship, and and you know, the games weren't on TV like they are now all the time. So the radio was our outlet, and he had a Uh, really unique way John of of, you know when you listen to these guys do games when you're watching it you can see what's happening but Sean Lee gave you the vision like like when he's announcing that fight with Lucas and Dawkins that's that's phenomenal stuff right there and then you know what Walton jams the ball over Jabbar and the way he his excitement you could just you could envision what was happening because you know you're listening to it on the radio and he he brought those games to life for us as as kids, you know. In high school, my senior year in high school, uh, we used to get together and and listen to the game, you know, in 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 our cars on the radio. Uh, that's the year they were fifty and ten after the title year. So, uh, in with Drexler and Porter, he he loved those guys as much as we did, and you could just feel that love for the for the players. Um, you know, it was, uh, every time he announced a game, it was is he just brought the game to life for us and the the times that i met him which were not enough but a few times that i got to talk to him he, he he'd be in a room and he would just be like another another person he never he never talked down to you he talked to you and uh he was just another one of us and just a great friend and he he really is the ambassador of portland you know both on and off the court he's he's just a legend Love Forever. that.
1: Here's a play-by-play call you'll like. Sidney Wicks from 20 feet. Milwaukee
2: ball, front court. Cherry way out in front. Now back to Lucius down on the middle of the ball. Here to the near side, to Mickey Davis. Davis being handed by Ali Johnson. The pass to Kareem Jabbar, intercepted by Sidney Wicks. Big Sid got mad. He stole the ball from Kareem. Now the Blazers have possession. Up the floor they come. Less than two minutes to go in the game. Adam and Wicks, 20 footer. Riff! Beautiful. 107. 106.
1: There it is. <laughs> I love that. David is in Vancouver. David, your memories of Sean's.
3: Yeah, I have a couple of different ones if I have time. Yeah. But um, one of them was, uh, Carrie Eggers wrote a book. And uh, I don't know how long ago, let's say 25 years ago. Okay. So I bought it from my dad, and I wanted to give it to him for Christmas. And I, I was a season ticket holder at that time. And so I said, I'm going to try to get it signed. So I took it to every game, like between Thanksgiving and about mid-December, and I just I could not bump into Sean And so I, I reached out to Chuck Charmquist, who is a lifelong friend of my dad's, Yep. and he was more than happy to uh, help me out. So he said, hey, meet me at such and such location at whatever game. And so I did, and he gave me two locker room passes, uh, so me and a friend after the game met up with Chuck, and he said, "Well, let's go find him. So we, we wandered the the corridor and found Bill Shanley. So we signed the book, and then uh, he said, "Well, I didn't write this book. Um, let's find Carrie Agers." And so now the three of us and my buddy now we're wandering around and we found Carrie Agers. So Carrie also signed it, and uh, that was that was pretty cool. I love
1: that.
3: Um, but my dad was on the same naval ship as Sean Lee. I believe Sean Lee was a Marine. He was a Marine, but, yep. But he was, uh, he basically hitched a ride to Guam on my dad's ship and uh, was doing the, the radio on the ship, right? Yeah, he was doing armed um, force radio, yep. Yeah, and Daryl Garrettson, uh, NBA referee, was also on that ship. But about. 10 years ago, the Blazers held a season ticket holder event at Big Owls in Vancouver, and I took my dad, and Bill Shawnley was one of the people there, and 10 minutes after we got there, my dad bumped into Shawnley and started talking about the USS Sultan and blah, 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 and so I wandered off, dad's talking to Shawnley. and about an hour later, I was looking for my dad, couldn't find him, so I asked one of the Blazer people, I said, hey, where's Bill Sonley? And they said, oh, he's in this room. And there was like a private little, it was all roped off, like they didn't want people going down there. Uh-huh. And I look and, and dad and him had been sitting there for an hour right, uh, <laughs> talking Navy stuff. And uh, it was pretty cool. Um, I love that. And he said, well, I, I probably should get back to my people, I guess. And so we took a picture of the two of them And that's still hanging on the wall in my dad's living room to this day. My dad's 92 years old.
1: Love that. Take care of your dad. Spend some time with your dad. Uh, Bill Shonley uh, passed away Saturday at the age of 93. I think people spent the weekend kind of talking about it. Uh, Seven years ago on this show, we talked about the glory days of Blazers basketball. Bill Shonley was in person in studio when we did this interview. I'm just going to play a couple minutes of him. Uh, As I talk to him about, you know, the Blazers of the 1990s and the 1970s, here's me with Bill Shonley. 1992 NBA Finals.
2: Drexler jams it over Billy Cartwright, and he is fouled. And look (laughs) at him slapping hands with his teammates on the bench.
1: All right, you'd been there in 77. You got to call a team winning it. You saw a parade. Do you think it was going to happen in the 90s for the Blazers? I, I wear this blazer
5: ring, this this championship ring, and I tell a lot of people because they want to see it and they ask me about the ring, and I said I want to stick around till they get another one. Well, they better hurry up. I don't know whether I'll see that or not.
1: <laughs> but in the '90s, did, oh, did the you 90s feel for, like oh, did you feel oh, like me. they were going to break through that uh, it was going to happen, or did you look across and go, "Now nah, we're just up against better teams"? I thought something
5: very, very good was going to happen for that team. Once uh, we got through the first half, seventy-six, seventy-seven, and then uh, of course the following year when they were fifty and ten, and then everybody health got in the way and we they just couldn't do do anything. But I had no idea. If we go back and look at their records, they didn't win the West in the seventy-six and seventy-seven. I think they won 49 games, if memory serves me correctly, but they went on and won the championship, so it can be done. Uh, We as a team and that group, we spent so much time together, and I say we because I was very much involved with the team and the coaching staff and the medical staff, and we were all one big, huge, happy family. It's not like it is today. There's so many other people. It's just not the nature of the beast. But uh, this year's group was a terrific group, but it was so fun to be around and and so nice. And you knew each and every night when they went out on the floor, in most cases, when the final horn would sound, that you would have one more point than the other guy. And it happened day in and day out. I've never been around a a group of people that uh, align themselves like that. In the 90s, the Jerome Kersey team and all the rest of those folks, very, very similar. I miss all those guys. It's been quite a run.
1: Bill Shanley talking about the glory days. Michael Llewellyn, former vice president with the Trailblazers, now at the University of Portland, is going to join us coming up to talk about his memories working with Sean's. Plus, uh, you'll hear Bill Shanley talk about Jerome Kersey. And Bill Shanley talk about how broadcasting has changed over the years, including some of his favorite
0: broadcasters.
1: All of that's still ahead on today's show.
0: Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750, The Game.
1: Bill Sean Lee, the mayor of Rip City, legendary Blazers broadcaster. Uh, we are talking a lot about Sean's. You're hearing uh, Sean Lee tell stories from his various appearances on this show over the years. Uh, Michael Llewellyn is a vice president at the University of Portland in charge of marketing and communications. He was previously with the Trailblazers organization, and he worked closely with Bill Sean Lee. On some projects, You got a chance to know him very well, in that capacity as a friend and coworker. Llewellyn joining us now. Uh, how are you, Michael?
7: John, it's uh, it's good to hear your voice. Uh, I, I certainly wish it was not this kind of occasion, but uh, but uh, Bill deserves every accolade we give him.
1: When when you know, I I try to tell somebody from another city. Over the weekend, what Sean Lee represented to Portland, and I had a hard time because I was. I said, you know, I don't know of many cities who have this kind of character who really did feel like the best friend of a city. How would you tell somebody, or how would you describe Bill Shanley to an outsider?
7: He was a living, breathing, walking, talking trailblazer legend. And he was with the organization, John, for 50 years. So the, the rarity of Bill being not only on the air for as long as he was as a broadcaster, but then being one of our Trailblazer ambassadors for the number of years that, that he was, uh, we were very fortunate. We we're very fortunate not only that he was with the franchise that long but for the kind of character the kind of gentleman and i use the word gentleman in capital letters the kind of gentleman bill Shanley was with every fan every player uh, every colleague he crossed paths with
1: when you uh, when you look at you know pro sports organizations sometimes you know they lose their way. Sometimes they win on the court. They lose on the court. Bill Shonley was a was a fixture on that concourse. And I don't know about you, Michael, but I saw him over the years. Probably stopped for a thousand photos on the concourse. You got a chance to be around him and see people react to him. How did people react to Bill Shonley when you saw it?
7: You know, I, I worked with Bill for uh, for my entire seven years with uh, the franchise, and I could always count on you know at least one or two days a week when uh, certainly when Bill was more mobile than he was during the latter years, him popping by the office or or, or calling. Uh, but the, it, it's a rare uh, talent, I think, and a rare skill to be personable and humanizing for everybody that you come in contact with, whether it's an older fan, a young fan, somebody who knows Bill, some that might be meeting Bill for the first time. I never saw him ever make anybody feel uncomfortable. You know, seeing him on the concourse, and as you and I would see from the press box right before the national anthem was sung at those home games, it wasn't unusual to see Bill there along the scorer's table. And talking to the players, he might know some of the referees, he might know... A coach or somebody from the other team, uh, and some of Bill's contemporaries, you know, kept broadcasting uh, for many, many years, uh, long after Sean Lake uh, had stopped. You know, Al McCoy there in Phoenix. Al is in his 51st season now, yeah. broadcasting for uh, for the Phoenix Suns, and you know, Ralph Lawler. You know, Ralph Lawler called yeah. uh, L.A. Clippers games for 41 years. Bill occasionally would see one of his contemporaries, but uh, he was he was a, a rarity, a rarity for us, and uh, and like Harry Glickman. You know he's gonna he's gonna be missed at, at every turn.
1: Yeah, you hit on something there. You know this is a franchise that has lost Kevin Duckworth and uh, Dale Schluter and Jerome Kersey and uh, and the founding father Harry Glickman and, and Bill Shonley here in you know in pretty close succession with those two. Um, that's a lot of institutional knowledge and a lot of history and tent poles for the franchise that go away. And I think it, it's special that. A lot of blazer fans today saw Harry Glickman at games and heard Bill Shonley calling games. I hope we don't lose that.
7: I agree with you. There are certain things that should be part of a franchise's DNA. And sometimes that DNA can get disrupted if there's a change in ownership or, or a change in the players or coaches or, or even you know, the philosophy. But Bill was that constant. And when Harry was with, us, was with us, Harry was that constant and had been with the franchise from the very beginning. And and the circle of life—it happens. It happens for all of us, and and it will happen for all of us. And and I think that's part of what's really tough uh, uh, for for Rip City as we we come to grips with the fact that the mayor of uh, of uh, Rip City is uh, is is gone. And uh, but I, I think the legacy will will last. Uh, there's a banner already hanging in the rafters of the Moda Center uh, in honor of Sean's. I've seen some things online, I know you've heard from a lot of fans, uh, that uh, want to see the franchise honor Sean's in some other visible ways, and uh, it's going to take some time for those kinds of things to, uh, to, to happen, but Bill was part of the Trailblazer DNA from the very beginning, and no matter which direction a franchise may have gone and shaped itself, good years and bad years, Sean's was a constant, and he was the one thing that every Blazer fan could count on, and, and now that spirit is gone.
1: Michael Llewellyn with us, uh, seven years as the vice president with the Trailblazers, now at the University of Portland. Uh, I know you were instrumental in the Rip City license plates and in, in, in you know, talking with the state legislature in 2015 and 2016. Uh, what was that process like and why was that important to you?
7: well it was it was a lengthy process because in the, in in those days uh, every time a vanity plate especially license plate was created in Oregon literally a bill had to be written and then passed through the Oregon Legislature and signed by the governor into law for those plates to happen. So whether it's the Cultural Trust or a Pacific Wonderland or some of the other plates you've already seen, each one of those, including the Trailblazer Plate, uh, carried with it its own legislation that uh, that brought it forward. Well as part of working on the Trailblazer Plate, and it took us three years to get it all the way through the process and all the way to production, um, uh, one of our secret weapons was Bill Shawnley. Lee. Uh, in in taking bill with us down to to salem and testify before some of those committees and some of those long-standing politicians down there were big fans of of uh of, of sean's and and he was instrumental with us we were able to rewrite oregon law with that bill that passed that authorized a trailblazer license plate now it is no longer a legislative process it is completely overseen now by the oregon uh, department of motor vehicles uh, uh they oversee the entire process it's very different now and the legislators who supported the Trailblazer plate were actually glad to see us have that stipulation built in. A lot of those great politicians hated year in and year out, session after session, having to decide which plate was yes and which plate was uh, was, was no. So we, we changed that for the Oregon legislature. We got the Trailblazer license plate through. And, and certainly thanks to Rip City fans all across the state, uh, I heard earlier this year uh, that the plate has raised more than $2 million in, in funds that have gone on to youth-oriented initiatives through the Trailblazer Foundation across the state. And Sean's helped us get it through, John. He helped us get it through.
1: I know uh, I sat with him you know, during the playoffs. I can't remember what year it was, but it was one of those years where the team uh, in the league had sort of gotten in the habit of, of giving the fans a T-shirt before the game. And, uh, you know, we, we walked into the arena, and there were red Rip City T-shirts folded and placed over the backs of every chair in the arena. And I, I sat with Sean's, and he put his arm around me, and he said, Will you look at that? He was so proud of that. He said, you know, this is amazing. Um, did you get a sense from him on what it meant to him to get that plate in? And I know he had his own Rip City plate, but now now other people can have one.
7: Well, here, here's the funny thing about the Rip City plate, because as you've seen on the Trailblazer license plate, the word Rip City is on there yeah. along with the, the Trailblazers, and it's in the colors, and it's got the pinwheel logo and all the things that, that make it uh, a branded element of uh, the franchise. But Bill's regular Oregon plates, you know, with the tree on it and all of that, said Rip City. Right. And uh, people stole that plate from Sean's a yeah. couple of times. And uh, once during, while I was working there, I think I was in maybe my fourth year with the Blazers, I get to phone call from Bill. He had just had lunch out in Lake Oswego, and he came out to that Cadillac, and one of those rip <laughs> plates was gone. And it's not like somebody was going to put the plate on their car, but you, clearly somebody had stolen it uh, as a memento, I, I guess, and uh, normally it takes an investigation in a very lengthy period of time to get those plates replaced, but uh, between the Lake Oswego Police Department and, and the uh, the Clackamas County Sheriff's Department, and then uh, working with the, uh, the Oregon... <laughs> with Oregon DMV and and, and uh, others that we knew and Dan Jarman, who was our uh, our government affairs consultant at the time, we were able to fast track Bill getting that plate replaced. But that used to just ch- chap uh, Sean's to no end, and I know of at least two times that it happened. I'm sure they were just pranksters and and yeah. uh, and well-meaning individuals looking for souvenirs, but that just used to used to just really upset Sean's, and he did lose that plate once during my seven years there. But we were able to
1: well he called me when that last one happened and he said that he was in and this is where i think you guys got involved because he said that dmv was saying you know if a plate's stolen they cancel it you can't just get a replacement and he was really upset about that so i think what you're talking about is the workaround that had happened after that and then he told me later he sent me a photo he had him bolted michael he had him bolted to the bumper so that no nobody else could steal him after that <laughs>
7: You're, you're right, John. It, it, it really is a, a, a process, and uh, uh, but I, I think it also, though, was a salute to the character and love uh, that the, the state of Oregon, not just the city of Portland, but the state of Oregon, uh, had for uh, for for Bill Shonley. That we were able to to uh, get the right people involved and and, uh, and and realize that this was this was not a scam. You know, a legitimate yes. license plate that had been stolen for whatever reason, and uh, and getting that uh, getting that that back going for uh, for Sean. And, and there were great stories in, in, in working with Sean's. Uh, Sean, probably my favorite one actually happened in 2018. Uh, the uh, the Mid Valley Sports Awards uh, were happening in Salem. There at the Salem Convention Center, the, uh, your colleagues and, and contemporaries at the Statesman Journal were honoring high school athletes, and they had somehow gotten Clyde Drexler. Uh, to come back to the state of Oregon, and Clyde was going to be a keynote speaker for that event. So uh, uh, we bought a table down there. But it was at that point where Sean's wasn't driving long distances at night anymore. So I drove out to Charbonneau and uh, picked up Bill, and, uh, and we drove to Salem. And I got a chance to listen to some of those very stories that he told you uh, as we are driving back and forth to Salem. But when we got to Salem... And even though Clyde Drexler and all that Clyde is and will be uh, for this franchise, uh, you would have thought that Bill was the main celebrity based upon how those fans reacted. And then Bill and Clyde getting a chance to spend some time together. And that was the 4th of June, 2018. And I'll never forget it because uh, I got a chance to to have Sean's all to myself. Uh, driving down to Salem and then driving back.
1: Let me ask you, uh, you know, before I cut you loose here, Michael, and I appreciate you making time in your day to to, to help remember Bill Shanley. but what do you think it was about him that made, you know, we've, we've seen other broadcasters, right? You've seen other personalities. There were people that, you know, from the 70s and 80s and 90s, from the Blazers' history that were around, but nobody connected like Sean's. Why? What? What was it about him?
7: John I think Sean had a had a uniqueness for for understanding people and he valued people I think there are in lots of difference a lot of times uh, folks who reach those lofty perches whether it's in sports entertainment or corporately you know they, they can lose sight of the value of the, the human spirit and 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 bill knew all along that life is life is fleeting you know he's a military man he traveled the world and and uh, seen some things in, in his life and you, you never know how long we're going to be on this planet planet and uh, Bill made it a point to take uh, full advantage of uh, of every every uh, minute. but the thing about it John that I' like most is that bill was sincere. he was sincere about it. He wasn't faking these conversations he was having with people and and uh, the the interactions with fans. he truly truly cared for folks and I think therein lies a the difference. I mean there's an authenticity. To Bill Shawnley. That, uh, I think, is unique, and you don't see it very often. And, uh, you know, when we lost Harry, you know, we lost Harry in 2020, and we weren't able to honor Harry until July of 2022 because of COVID. But uh, uh, at least in this instance now, as we wait to hear what's going to happen, memorializing Sean's and the other, uh, and what may, may transpire, whether it's something at Moda Center, wherever they decide to do it, and they're going to need to do it in a big place, because, you know, folks will turn out to honor Bill. But uh, I'm glad we won't have to wait. Like we did for for Harry, because uh, if it wasn't for Harry, the Blazers wouldn't be here. And if it wasn't for Harry, Bill Shawnley never would have got here. And uh, those two are, are forever connected uh, to the history of this franchise.
1: Michael Llewellyn, thank you. Thanks for uh, the stories and the smiles. I appreciate you. Thank you, John. There it is, Michael Llewellyn talking about the late Bill Shonley. Um I love that. I love that. I love that we can get a glimpse into what it was like to be Bill Shawnley's co-worker. Um, I asked Bill Shonley, uh once upon a time, uh, seven years ago, in fact, on this show, about the fans that he talks with on the concourse. I, I I think I, like no exaggeration, saw him probably pose for a thousand pictures over the years. And sometimes you'd be walking with the shans just talking, and you'd realize, here comes a group of people, I better just keep walking. Because uh Bill Shawnley's going to be there for a while. Here was Shanley talking about how it how it changed over the years from autographs into photographs. You have a lot of people who come up to you in public and get pictures with you now. It's has it changed from autographs to now pictures exclusively?
5: It's mostly pictures anymore, yeah. Can I have your autograph? I mean, can I take your picture? You yeah. know, all these people, the selfies—it's it's <laughs>
3: incredible.
1: You're always impeccably dressed, though. So I, I am? think that yeah, you're not the, today. I'm you're, not. Son, that's pretty nicely dressed. He's got a button-up oh. shirt. He's got a, a sweater over the button-up shirt. He's got a polo jacket, Ralph Lauren jacket on. I mean, <laughs> this is a this is a nice, nicely a dressed Pep man. Boy's jacket. That's not. Oh, a, it is. Uh, yeah, it looks like Ralph Lauren to me. <laughs> but you are a good dresser. Have you always been a good dresser? Oh, I try to be.
5: Yeah. I I like to wear good clothes and look half decent
1: when it, I can. Because radio people in general, if you've looked around. I have. Slobs. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. What is happening in this industry? Um, you've seen it change. The guys that's speaking
5: yeah. to me right now, folks. You yeah. Know,
1: <laughs> it's in that category. Yes. <laughs> I have to see if my shoes match today. Yeah, I'm good. Bill Shodley, the mayor of Rip City. How did he get the name, the mayor of Rip City? Well, it came on this radio show. Uh, we'll talk about it uh, coming up. You'll hear that story of Bill Shunley talks about it. Uh, I want you to leave it here. you got the bald-faced truth.
0: Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
1: Peter Sampson, uh, I haven't come to you yet. Bill Sean Lee passes away over the weekend at the age of 93, and we're going to get to the NFL. We're going to talk all that other stuff. I Sort of a dedicated hour, number one, to talking mostly about Sean Lee. But, Give me your memories of Bill Shawnley.
8: Yeah, I mean, uh, growing up in the uh the eighties, there were a couple years where, I mean, listening to Bill Shawnley, that was my best friend, you know. I'd move schools. It took me a little while to uh to make friends. And uh I was that kid, you know, had the radio under the pillow, you know, sometimes on the nightstand, and then you have to move it under the pillow once mom and dad go to bed and you're not supposed to be listening anymore. Uh so I think I'm Like a lot of Portland area uh, folks in that regard, but you know, you you flash forward a good you know thirty years. And I'm covering the Blazers, and I ran into to Sean so many times because once the novelty wears off of, you know, getting behind the scenes and being in the media room, I, I sort of realized there's nothing I'm going to do in these pregame press conferences that 15 other people aren't going to tweet out at the exact same time. So I started skipping those, and a lot of people don't know, but there's, there's a little VIP restaurant in the bowels of the Moda Center. It's kind of, you know, if you're sitting courtside, it's where you get to go, and there's an elevator in there. And I would hit that elevator, and I kind of learned to time it when Sean's, when he was the ambassador, would be in there as well. So I would kind of try to uh, keep an out for him, ride that elevator, just say, you know, it's a quick, you know, two-minute ride. Say a couple words, maybe fist bump, maybe look at the championship ring. And uh, I'll tell you, he loved being Bill Shawnley. That's the big takeaway is is yeah. it wasn't a burden to him, and it was he just embraced it, and it was awesome.
1: Yeah, I actually, I, 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 I say that with all respect to him and his memory. Like, I think he enjoyed and embraced being the Shauns, And, you know, there's part of, I think, anybody who's been in the public eye that, that probably um, values their privacy. And you see, I think, celebrities deal with this all the time and athletes deal with this all the time that, you know, at what point, uh, do you need to leave them alone and not approach him? Bill Shawnley, I think, loved when people would come up and talk to him and and be around him. And I think he loved coming on this show in part because it kept him on radio long after he was off radio. He loved having the microphone in front of him. And I don't mean that like out of vanity. I just think he was comfortable there. Uh, we brought him on the show several years ago. and We talked about the origin of his nickname, not the Shans. He was the Seans long before I knew him, but he was the Rip City, the mayor of Rip City, after his time on this radio show. Um, I can't remember the exact day that we brought it up for the first time, but Bill Shonley and I talked about that a few years ago.
5: The mayor of Rip City. When you mentioned that a few years ago, boy, did that ever take place. I, I get that almost every day from somebody.
1: That started right here. And it's
5: fun. Yes, I know it is. You did it again, John.
1: Well, we did one thing. We gave you a nickname. You do you didn't... remember the
5: first time I did Twas the Night Before Christmas yeah. and what I put on at the end? And
1: it, you the, said, it, it's not, on the, C- on. It's no, not no. on the CD
5: now. I think but I have it. I think have. I have
1: the call of it. You, I think you personalized it, did you not? Yeah,
5: well, I was speaking on, uh, as Santa would say, and it, it just comes out.
1: All right, here's the original version in 2010 of you doing T'was the Night Before Christmas. This is just the end. I'll give you like the last 30 seconds. All right.
5: But I heard him exclaim as he drove out of sight, Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. He had something else to say as he went out of sight. He said, Johnny, I hope you have the Christmas spirit. Better not shout, Johnny. Do not pout. Be good for goodness sake. And be nice to those trailblazers.
9: <laughs>
5: and one more. <laughs> Great job, Coach Chip Kelly. Go Ducks. See you next year. Merry Christmas. <laughs> oh, my goodness.
1: I forgot. I did that. <laughs> Bill Shawnley used to come on this show and do a live rendition of Twas the night before Christmas and some other Christmas classics every year he loved doing it the blazers hated that he did it they uh, forbid him from doing it and he defied them and came on every year and he still did it and uh, I, I am pleased to tell you that a week ago or last week when I visited Bill Shawnley at his uh, senior living center um, he asked me he said, are you going to continue to play? Twas the night before Christmas every year. And I said, it, it wouldn't be Christmas without it, Sean. And he got a big smile on his face. And so, yes, we will keep that tradition on this radio show. Hour number two, still ahead. Leave
0: it right here. B F F T. From the Pack West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High-Caliber Millwrights, Here's John Gonzano with a bald-faced truth.
1: I loved that hour of radio. I don't know if you loved it. I loved it. I don't know if that if there's ever uh, a I think a more appropriate time to uh, to do something a, a little bit I guess outside the lines than. When uh, a city like Portland or a state like Oregon has lost an ambassador in the uh, in the name or in the likeness of Bill Shanley, uh, really enjoyed getting to know him and having him on this show. And I got to be honest, I I uh, I was sad when I saw him a week ago. He told me that he was embarrassed, that physically he was deteriorating, and you know I just don't know if. You know, anybody who has ever had a parent or a grandparent make it into their 90s, I can remember my grandfather, and I told Sean this when I talked to him, my grandfather in his 90s, my grandfather had, for, for years and years and years, decades, he he talked about making it to 100 years old. I think I've told this story on the show. And he used to do a toast. Like, he. my grandfather would drink, like, Crown Royal, and he'd make a highball, and, and he'd make a toast. And he would say, you know, I hope uh, you, you know, you live to be a hundred, and I never die. And he'd say it a lot better than I did. But he would—that was a toast. And he talked all the time about himself making it to hundred years old, like from the time he was—he was born in my grandfather was born in 1910, and he, by the time he was in his 70s, um, you know, I was like 10, 11 year old kid. He—he he looked old to me in his 70s. He lived to be 94. I got to know him into my 30s, right? But I I can remember talking with him, you know, right around when he hit 90, 91, 92. Um, He he stopped talking so much about making 100 years old. And instead he would say, like, it just hurts. And he told me, I remember my grandfather saying to me at age 94, uh, he said, uh, I'm good, like, I don't need to make 100. I'm good at 94. Like, he, he knew that he had. He, I'd had enough living. I'm good. I'm at peace with it. Bill Shonley told me the same thing. And I just think there's a, you know, he was. he's 93 years old. He's sitting in his chair. He's at a Cedar Living Center. Dottie's in the other room. The night I saw Sean's, uh, he had a really not rough night the night before. They, he had kind of a medical issue, and he was up all night, and he apologized. He said, I'm so embarrassed. Look at me. You know, his hand was swollen. He had had some issues with his skin, and but he still had the, dig, the same old dignity. His hair was still combed. His glasses were on. Uh, you know, he he starts talking to me about my writing when I first walked in. You know, I you know love what you are doing with your new writing endeavor, and and I just said to him, hey man, I am here for you. I am I am here for you, and and uh, I just I can remember feeling like he had he was at peace with you know he said i'm ready and he said he talks to the big guy upstairs he doesn't get the answers he wants but he continued to talk like he joked about stuff like that and he had told he told me that you know uh, bill walden had called him and he told me that terry porter had come by and chris dudley had come by to see him and he especially talked about porter because porter not only came by but terry porter followed up while I was there with a phone call. And Porter called, and I could hear the caretaker in the other room take the call and say, hey, Terry, oh, Bill's in there with Canzano right now. You know, uh, what can I help you with? And apparently Terry Porter had called back because when he visited Bill Shonley, um, I guess it was right around the time Georgia was playing TCU in the national championship game, and Shan's was having trouble getting the television at the senior living center, to basically give him the game without interruption or without, you know, there was some issue with one of the cables. So Terry Porter had called back to make sure that Sean's had the right cables or he was going to go get them himself. Like, it's just evident to me that the people who were around Bill Shanley back in the day as players, Chris Dudley, so many other players, Shanley mentioned that I'm not going to even get into all the names, but, uh, you know, it was evident that these guys cared about him and, and I was in Tempe. You know that on Friday. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I'm I'm in Tempe, Arizona. come back on Sunday. But I was at Saturday night's Arizona State-USC game uh, on campus at Arizona State. And, you know, I'm working on this Bobby Hurley thing that I, I want to write. And, and uh, I had written on Thursday night and Friday about the uh, ridiculous FS1 broadcast that we keep seeing with the broadcasters not in person. We talked all about it Friday. But... I'm at the game on Saturday night and I'm walking by Press Row and I forgot ESPN had the call. And there's Bill Walton and Dave Pash. And Bill Walton's walking towards me from the other side and he goes to fist bump me and he just says "Sean's." Like he and he and like I and I put my hand on my heart. And uh, Bill Walton wants to come on the show and talk about Bill Seanley. He's he's got a game to call tonight. He can't come on today. He, he may come on tomorrow, but I, I feel like it might take Bill Walton a little bit of time to get on the show, given his commitments. He sent me an email this morning kind of outlining his week, and it feels like it may uh, this may cave in on him this week. But, um, look, I'm just struck by the idea that you know, I don't think there will be another Bill Shonley. Like, apologies to every broadcaster, Kevin Calabro, Travis Damaris. I don't think anybody wants to be Bill Shonley. Brian Wheeler, I don't think anybody wants to be Bill Shonley. There, was, there will never be another first broadcaster for the Trailblazers. There will never be another. Like, the Ducks have Jerry Allen. The Beavers have Mike Parker. They're phenomenal broadcasters. They are deeply ingrained and deeply connected with their fan bases. Uh, and, you know, we all know that death is part of life, and we all know that, you know, there will come a day when, you know, we all, all of our moments will come. But there will never be a Bill Shanley and never another Sean's. There won't be another broadcaster. There will not be another personality in that vein. And I, you know, I'm struck by that. And I'm also struck by, too, like, like you know, I talk all the time about, you know, this job doesn't love me. It doesn't. This job does not love me. Uh, they will uh, step over my body if I fall over today and somebody else will be on air uh, there will be somebody else to write there will be somebody else to appear on your television there will be always be somebody else coming down the pipelines but I actually think that Bill Shawnley was the last where the job actually loved him it loved him back because the job was you it was the people and you know I thought about that because you know e- even in the sadness that I think a lot of people had in Bill Shawnley uh, you know passing away, uh, last Saturday morning, I guess, in the wee hours of Saturday, um, there's also uh, a smile on my face when I talk about the guy. And, you know, and it is different that somebody, you know, he lived into his 90s, 93 years old. Just a tremendous life and a tremendous guy. And I want to leave you with this one. I'm going I'm to kind of leave it here, and then we're going to launch into the rest of the show, I think. Uh, we'll talk some NFL Uh, I think the Niners are going to beat the Eagles, by the way. Uh, I think the Bengals might get the Chiefs after looking at this last weekend's game. We're going to talk about who we think the Super Bowl participants will be. But before I can get there, if I can leave you with one more thing. Bill Shanley himself had some broadcasters he loved and he liked to listen to. He also lamented how different broadcasting has become. Everybody's yelling and screaming. Skip Bayless, Stephen A. Smith, the broadcasters on the play-by-play, they're all yelling and screaming. Bill Shonley was not a yeller and a screamer as a broadcaster, and we talked about that in an interview seven years ago. In this industry, how did radio change from the beginning when you were in as a play-by-play broadcaster to what you hear today across the airwaves?
5: Well, in the good old days in the day, as they say, the radio was king. It's still doing very nicely. The radio play-by-play guy had to do it all. And this day, mostly TV has taken over. And there are not too many regular play-by-play guys. It's the commentators that do all the speaking. Uh, but uh, I enjoyed doing everything in those days. It was, it was a tough job, but it came natural to me. And I enjoyed to do it.
1: Do, do you uh, Do you have a favorite now? That you listen to, uh, I you know you were talking. You brought me a New York Yankees media guide, and we were talking about John Sterling before yeah. the show. All right? Um, do you have a favorite play-by-play guy that you like now that when you hear you go, oh man, that he's
10: good.
5: Well, there's only one. Who's that? Vinny Vin Scully. Yeah, he is so smooth and nice, and he's going to try to go another year, and he's 89. I say
1: let him go. Let him go until he decides. Mean, I think
5: he's earned that right. What do you think? Oh, I agree. Absolutely. Let him go. As long as he wants to do it and can do it. He's not making all the trips with with the Dodgers, but he'll do all the home games and he'll go to San Diego, come up to San Francisco. Maybe go to Phoenix the odd time, but that's it. But what a history and what a broadcaster he has been for so many years.
1: I'm gonna play a cut of Vince Scully. This is just a this isn't anything special. It's just a home run call.
8: With two out, Pinero said, looks over it for a call. He's not going. And the 3-1 pitch,
2: a long fly ball to deep right field. She is gone, and I should
5: say he would have success against Joel Pinero. A two-run home run by Andre Ethier, and the Dodgers lead the Cardinals 3 to nothing. Now, he told the story, and he didn't scream. Yeah. And you could tell in your mind, the theater of the mind, that was radio, you had to picture it yourself and that was a beautiful call but a lot of us today here's the pitch he swings it's a high fly ball and it's going out of here i
1: hate
4: that <laughs> you've
1: got it because you have to go over the top right yeah like this swung on and drilled a deep right field it is high it is far it
2: is gone salardi hits a bullet over the right
0: field wall and about eight rows back Never nervous, Jan Hervis. Salate,
5: <laughs>
2: do whoa, it, Johnny. Salate, whoa, 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 whoa. He homers to deep right,
5: and the Yankees take a two nothing lead.
1: Does that turn you off, or do you are you entertained by now, that? No, John, yeah. J-
5: Johnny can do that. There yeah. are a lot of guys that can't do that that mess it up. None. This is yeah. my opinion. I'm not putting them down. Yeah. Uh, and you know, when I was calling baseball or basketball or for whatever yeah uh, i would get to the point i tried not to scream yeah i might get a little louder fine because it was the nature of the beast at the moment and sterling has his own way of doing things but that was a nice call for john and yeah. he's got his little sayings and his rhymes and so forth and so on but he doesn't overdo it
1: and that's the key how, how do you know? Is there a uh, is it science or art when you know to let a moment breathe as a broadcaster? I think
5: you should know the moment when you should breathe. Let the situation theater of the mind again. The yeah. crowd is roaring. In the, in the arena, it's roaring. Let it go for a moment or two. Don't try to overshout the crowd, for heaven's sakes. Yeah.
1: Bill Shonley, the mayor of Rip City. Anna's going to pop into the studio. We're going to talk NFL playoffs and a whole bunch more coming up. Plus, questions for the Pac-12. Is the Larry Scott hangover still
0: lingering? We'll discuss. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I was working real hard
1: yesterday on uh, on a Southwest Airlines flight to uh, stream the 49ers game with the Dallas Cowboys uh, as we were flying. It's my bad uh, for uh, booking a flight during what ended up being the divisional round of the NFL playoffs, but I, I did it pretty good. And I got to see the ending, uh, got home in time to see the, uh, the final... Uh, quarter or so but uh anna's popped into the studio the nfc and afc championship games are set 49ers at eagles that'll be on sunday and then that'll be followed by the Bengals at the chiefs i'm leaning 49ers over the eagles maybe i'm blinded by my allegiance there but i think they're a little better uh and i like the way the Bengals are playing and i'm not sure about patrick mahomes health I'm wondering and thinking the two underdogs and the road teams may advance to the Super Bowl. Anna's popped into the studio. Uh, What was that like for you on the plane to to have your uh, husband being immersed in a football game?
9: Uh, It was kind of funny because I could tell there was at least one 49ers fan sitting near you who was doing the uh, lean-over
1: thing. She was, yep.
9: (laughs) So I was glad that it wasn't just for you. You were benefiting those around you. With your uh, streaming mid flight. And I
1: was pr- I was kind of, I, I was, I kind of admired her because she's millennial. She was probably a couple decades younger than me. Yeah. At least. Yeah. Maybe three decades younger. I don't know. And I thought, oh, she had a 49er shirt on when she got on. I said, what are we going to do about this? How are we going to get this game? And, and she says, I don't know. And I said, I'm going to stream it. And then, because <laughs> we're on Southwest, she then took the seat with a vantage point. Off my left shoulder, that she, she could see oh. what I was doing. <laughs> I, I thought it was a savvy travel move by yeah. her. By the way, yeah. the whole Southwest Airlines thing. What? It's just I. I'm not a fan of it. Why? I'm not. It's a fan, very fair. It's very stressful. I no. don't think it is fair. Why? Why Actually, isn't it? Not, why is it unfair? I don't think it is fair. Here's why I don't think it's fair. Okay. I don't like the whole uncertainty about where you're going to sit on the plane. You like an assigned seat. I don't even care if I know I'm in the back road. I just don't like the stress, especially when we're traveling with kids. Yeah. We're traveling with two young kids. (laughs) The stress of going. How are we going to all get together? I got to check in 24 hours exactly ahead of time or pay the early bird check in fee, which is $25 per ticket. Uh huh. And then. There's even a stress when you get, like, even when you know if you do the early bird thing, you don't know <laughs> if you're going to be early enough. Because sometimes they just hose you anyway, and you end up le- with, like, a bee something. Uh-huh. And then you got to go, I hope that there's not a bunch of families with kids that are traveling. And I don't know if you noticed what happened. We were B one, two, three uh-huh. on the outbound flight. Yeah. One, two, three, four. Yeah. We were the first bees. Uh-huh. But what they do is they board the A group, yes, and then they say, are there any families traveling with children 7 and under? Now, we happen to have a 6-year-old. I guess we could still work the system, but she's able-bodied. And we had a B1234, and I said, eh, let's just get in line like we're supposed to, and let's not have a bunch of people mad at us. Uh, Apparently, some of the families didn't get the memo. There were some teenagers... (laughs) <laughs> who jumped on the plane. Like the families just kept coming. Well, they and were either coming, teenagers and or
9: very large seven-year-olds, like very yeah. tall seven-year-olds.
1: And yeah. I was just kind of, and some lady behind me who was a nurse, she says, hey, you guys should just go. And I said, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want everybody like going, hey, mm-hmm. that kid
4: looks like six, yeah. seven years Giving old. Giving us the stinking. Yeah, out.
1: don't do that. So we didn't do it, but we got on the plane, and I heard somebody who was in the C, or excuse me, in the B group, yeah. who also paid for early bird. <laughs> Check in. Talk some trash to those teenagers. Yeah. Because she got on. She was coming down the aisle. She was behind us by a few spots. Coming down the aisle, she says something to the teenagers. I don't know what she said, but they said, "What's the big deal? You're on the plane anyway." Uh huh. And she said, "I paid twenty five dollars. Is what the big deal is, <laughs> and to only to watch you cut in line as a quote unquote." No, seven non, and under. Yeah, seven and under. Not just, really the teenager's fault,
9: right? That's uh, like a parental decision.
1: I just think there's a whole stress. Le- there's no stress level anyway to traveling. You get to the airport, are we there early enough? Where did we park? Yeah. You know, Are we going to get through TSA? Do you have any water in your bottle? Do you have water in your Usually, backpack? Usually, yeah. How long is the security line? Mm-hmm. There's just this is a whole yeah. stress. So you know, many variables. Did we lock the door? Right. Who's taking care of the dog? You know. Yeah. There's all this stress anyway. Mm-hmm. So then you're going with an airline that's going, it's a free-for-all. Like, get over here and line up and let's see what
9: happens. But see, the thing with Southwest <laughs> that I like is it's very fair because – You get on the plane, and you figure out pretty quickly the people that have their act together. The people that have their act together and set an alarm on their phone or in some way reminded themselves of that 24-hour check-in thing, they were on it. The people who were not on it are in the
1: back. Okay, if they didn't have early bird check-in, yes, that would hold up. Or if they did not allow after the A boarding group, uh, you know, anybody who needs extra help or a family. Like, what does extra help mean? We all need extra help. Who doesn't need extra help? Stephen needs extra help sometimes. Sometimes I need extra help. It's not that I would ask for it, but I'm not going to jump out of line and be like, let me cut in front of all these people who paid the early bird fee and uh, claim I need extra help. Now, I don't know if you noticed what happened on the return flight, okay? I probably do. You did not because you're just, you know, I don't know what you're doing. You're at the airport.
9: I'm, you're, I'm, you're I'm on vacation. I'm going through my day in peace with low cortisol
1: levels coursing yeah. through my body. But go okay. on. This guy over here <laughs> noticed that there was a guy who we were. We, were, we got an A-55. We got like a low-grade A. Listen, okay? man, are you with us on this? You okay. still with us? You tracking this? Like, okay. Do you understand what I'm saying, Stephen? A-55? Uh,
4: I don't know what A-55 means. Okay, so but... when you line
1: up at Southwest, they do A boarding group, B boarding group, and heaven forbid, you get a C. Okay, and then you get on. That's the order in which you're going to board this and select this your capsule yeah. that they're going to uh, you know, transport you on. Does that make
4: sense? It goes all the way to 55?
1: Yes. 50. I did It goes that. To, all the way to 60. Mm. Okay. So we got an A55, 56, 57, 58. Those were our numbers. Okay. Mm-hmm. I remember the stuff like that. Mm, yeah. It's in my head. Mm-hmm. There was a guy who kind of awkwardly walked up, didn't make eye contact, but kind of stood to the side of us. Yeah. It was stressing me out a little bit because I didn't know, was he behind us? There should have been two people behind us. Right. Or was he in front of us? Now I thought, ah, it's no big deal. He's in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So as we went up to the front, he was in front of us. And he they scanned his boarding pass, and the gate agent. Oh, that guy. Yeah, I know. That gate agent about. went, beep, hold on, sir. <laughs> You're actually B-55. And then sent him back, and the guy pretended like, oh, it was just an honest mistake. Yeah. He tried to board with A. He was actually a B, which B-55, you're almost a C. Well, and um, here's
9: the thing, though, on that guy. He darn well knew he was in the yes, B group. He, he was just trying to get a jump on things right. and hope that he could skirt skirt by old you know, ticketing agent Jim.
1: Yeah, but ticketing agent Jim, after I, I, I said to him, I said, hey, you're a good gate agent. Yeah. I said, most people would have let that guy go. And he said, well... I could tell he wasn't really a B, and I said, "How did you know? <laughs> like, did you look at his shoes? Did he look at his watch? Like, how did he know?" Yeah. So he says he when he handed him the boarding pass, he covered up oh, the letter, and he said, "All I could see was the fifty-five. I couldn't see that it was a And he tried to get on with the air, and the guy went, "Oh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. You know, right?
9: Like, hey, I'm just
1: saying." I certain... also
9: did commend Jim. I walked by and I said, Eagle Eye Jim, nice work there. Good yeah, catch.
1: Yeah, I have a lot of I have a lot of empathy for flight attendants. Uh-huh. I have a lot of empathy for uh pilots and yeah. and co pilots. Yeah. Ushers. But the ushers. gate agents yeah. and the ticket desk workers and the people who actually accept the baggage. Yeah. Uh those people are putting their lives in danger on a daily basis. Like, it, Wait, like those you people, you don't think that guy lifting everybody's 49 and a half pound bag and putting it on the scale <laughs> and then having to, you know, do the hammer throw to get it onto the, oh, onto yeah. the, uh, you know, the conveyor belt is yeah. not risking his health? Yeah. Like, and maybe it's a workout when you're younger. Yeah. But some of those cats, you know, they don't look like they can handle 49 and a half pounds. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I kind of go, hey, you know, I, I just try to be nice to all those people. Right. I saw a TikTok video where somebody got on the plane and brought $5 Starbucks gift cards, yeah. handed it to the flight attendant, and said, this is for you and the crew. Like, I don't even know how many flight attendants there are. Every time you think that there's like you've seen them all, yeah. a new one appears sometimes <laughs> on the plane. Like, and you're like, where did that one come from? <laughs> yeah. So this person was bringing on, like, $5 Starbucks gift cards – every flight handing them to the attendants and the person said watch how that they react to you yeah. after you do it oh, I like because that. all they get from people all Grief. day long yeah. is crap oh, and yeah. people trying to skirt the rules yeah and you know get in with the b group when they're on the a you know like mm-hmm. everybody's trying to get over on mm-hmm. these people and then they treat them like garbage right while they're on the plane mm-hmm. so you know mm-hmm. what do people do You know, they, or they complain. Yeah. No, the fi doesn't work. Yeah. Oh, I can't, I ordered a water. Where's my water? Yeah. And then at the end, what do they do? They wad up all their trash and they stick it in the pocket or they throw it on the floor like they're at a ball game or something. (laughs) You know, you've done it. I'm just saying, treat your flight attendants with respect. Did you see the story, uh, about the flight attendant
9: that sat next to a passenger? She was saying that she was really nervous about flying. It's making the rounds today. And uh, the flight attendant sat next to her, like sat on the ground next to her, held her hand, and explained what every bump and every, you know, thing was that was, you know, increasing her anxiety. She was a nervous flyer. And it was just a really, it was a sweet shot of uh, that flight attendant. I couldn't do it. Going above and beyond. I couldn't
1: do it. I would be that, I would last about two days. I would be like, welcome to Delta Flight 438 with service to Philadelphia. This is going to be a full flight. Get in your seats. Put your bags away. You know how this works. Do I really have to tell you to put your seatbelt on? Do I really have to tell you to, you know, you can't bring your full suitcase onto the plane? And, uh, you know, I would just, would people say, they'd ring their call buttons, I'd say, quit your bitching. That's what I'd yell. <laughs> Quit your bitching from the back of the plane. That's that would be the whole flight. Yeah. I have no patience for it. Yeah. Alright, coming up, we're gonna talk about the Pac-12. I think they need some sunshine. And we'll dive deeper on the NFL playoffs. I like the Niners and the Bengals. Does the room agree with me? We'll find out next.
0: Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
1: Let's start with the NFL playoffs. I think it's a bigger deal. 49ers will travel to Philadelphia on Sunday for the NFC Championship game. It's Brock Purdy in his rookie season against Jalen Hurts and the Eagles. The Cincinnati Bengals outlasted the Buffalo Bills in the snow of Buffalo. Joe Burrow and the Bengals look tough. They look very balanced. Uh, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs uh, advanced as well. They will host Cincinnati on Sunday. Uh, 3.30 p.m. kickoff time. So the Niners-Eagles at 12 and the Bengals-Chiefs at 3.30. I like the Niners. I think they have better defense. Uh, I like their offense. Uh, Brock Purdy makes me a little nervous, but uh, I like the way that he competed in the last couple of weeks. I'll take the Niners over the Eagles in the NFC. And I'm going to flip my pick. I originally had Kansas City in the Super Bowl. Uh, I got a hard time seeing that after watching the way Cincinnati is playing. I think Cincinnati is one of those teams that's just playing better football right now. And Kansas City, Patrick Mahomes, I don't know what his health's going to be like. But right now, I'm saying Niners-Bengals in the Super Bowl. Steven, what do you see?
4: Yeah, I'm having a, I'm having a tough one with the Bengals and Chiefs. I It's hard not to pick the Bengals in this one, right? Like, Joe Burrow looks the part. He looks like he could be... You know, dare I say, the best quarterback in the NFL, at least second best. Like he is awesome right now. But at the same time, like, how am I going to pick against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs at home when they've lost to the Bengals the last few times? They have something to prove against that team. The Bengals just, you know, they're they've run the AFC this, last year and last year they've beaten the Chiefs twice. So I, I think right now I'm leaning towards the Bengals. I don't know. I think that could change by the end of the week. But right now I'm leaning Bengals on that one. And then the NFC. I think it's the Eagles. I think the Eagles um, are going to win the game. Now, I was against the 49ers last week. Didn't work out, but I liked the way Jalen Hurts played on Saturday against the <laughs> against the Giants. But uh, I, I think with Jalen Hurts, healthy-ish, it's going to be a different type of game against the 49ers. But that one should be, should be a great game. I'm, I'm really excited for that one. Peter
1: Sampson, how do you
4: see it?
8: Yeah, in the AFC, I'll be honest, if Mahomes hadn't rolled that ankle, I would probably still go with Kansas City just because of the experience. I mean, but then again, it's not like the Bengals haven't been there before this current iteration, right? right? So I'm having a hard time seeing this one. I mean, how much did Buffalo beat themselves Hmm. versus the Bengals just took it? So I think... I think I'm leaning Cincinnati, but I really reserved the right to sort of uh, go back and forth on that one, and I'm with Steven. I think I like the Eagles, the 49ers. I mean, Purdy's been playing well. Obviously, you know, you have Debo Samuel, you have George Kittle. Now you have Christian McCaffrey, and you have that defense, but the Eagles defense. Looked really, really good against the Giants. And uh not to mention, though, all the questions with Jalen Hurts. How's that arm? I mean, look, he was responsible for three touchdowns. They looked like they didn't miss a beat at all. I think it's going to be a close game, but I think—I'm sorry, John. i got to go with Philly. And here's we'll the thing, John, yeah.
4: about Brock Purdy. Like, he's been really good, and there's no doubt about it. But he's still made some throws—like, he's missed a couple easy throws that— could have turned into interceptions. I, I just feel like that run's gonna end at some point and like it could be on the road in Philadelphia. I could be wrong. Maybe Brock Purdy is the next reincarnation of Joe Montana and he's just nah, awesome. I don't think
1: he's I don't think he's Joe Montana. But I the 49ers make everything hard on you. Like they are they are very talented. Like I actually think like when you look at their roster top to bottom that they might have the most balanced, talented roster offensively and defensively that's left. But uh I think you know, they haven't lost since Christian McCaffrey was traded to the Niners. Purdy's been really good. They've taken pressure off him. Like, I don't think he had a great game against the Cowboys, but he made enough plays. They run the ball well. Uh, they make things hard on you. I thought the Giants – I was disappointed in the Giants. They had terrible uh, – you know, they defensively, their gap uh, – you know, their the, the accountability that they have. They just had breakdowns on defense. They – I felt like they made that easy on the Eagles. The Niners don't do that. They made everything hard on the Cowboys. Every first down felt hard. Every, you know, every uh possession felt difficult. I think that's what they do. I think they just wear people out, wear them down. Now, I may be jaded. I might be biased cuz that's my team, but I I just think they're going to make things hard on the on the Eagles. And then guys, I really am disappointed in Buffalo. I just Maybe, maybe the Bengals are just that good. Like, do you think that the AFC divisional game there in the snow was more about the Bengals being really good and really balanced and peaking, or are the is there something wrong with the Bills in the last couple of weeks because they just they have
8: not looked good? Yeah, that's the real question for me. I mean, this was their year, and they've been gearing up for basically 365 days for this exact moment, right? Like, they knew that this was going to happen. They were trying to get there, and they just fell short. Josh Allen, he hasn't looked bad per se, but he hasn't looked like, remember last year that Chiefs game, just slinging it back and forth? He hasn't been that guy in the playoffs.
4: Yeah, I think it was more of the Bills, and I was a big Bills guy. I, I thought the Bills were the best team in the NFL, and I think I'm just wrong on that one. Like, Buffalo looked bad in that game, and you can blame the snow, you can blame the weather, but Cincinnati looked fast, right? Like, Cincinnati looked fast and athletic out there. I thought Buffalo looked pretty slow out there, and there's no reason not to be up for these type of games. I don't know if it's the coaching. I don't know if we're just overrating the players a little bit, but I, I think it's more of Buffalo maybe not as good um, and really not peaking at the right time, where Cincinnati, you know, and you got Joe Burrow, I mean that guy that guy is cool like don't cool, I hate to say Joe cool like cuz I think it's just such a cuz you're copying Joe Montana like but it's just like he is a cool dude out there on the field off the field and it's hard not to believe in that guy so I think it's a little both but I do think the Bills maybe are a little more overrated uh than we thought coming into the playoffs
1: Yeah it was supposed to be their year um look of the offenses and defenses everybody's got an offense everybody's got a defense um, I, I went into the playoffs thinking that the Kansas City Chiefs' offense was the best unit in the playoffs. Of the eight units left, offense and defense for each team, I now think San Francisco's defense is the best unit on the field, holding uh, the Cowboys to 12 points. I think that will be a problem for Philadelphia. I would love to see that San Francisco D against either the Chiefs or the Bengals. But I think the Bengals are going to beat the Chiefs. I just think the way the Bengals are playing, you know, it happens every year. I think the Falcons did it that year. They got to the Super Bowl and played the Patriots. Like, they just kind of came on at the right time and played the best football.
4: I think the Bengals are that team this year. I do want to ask you, John, real quick about Brock Purdy. Um, Do you think next season he's the starting quarterback for the 49ers? I don't know. I I think it's a big question. Or does this game, like the NFC Championship game, really matter for his future with the organization. I,
1: I think that that's probably fair because let's say he comes out, he doesn't look good. Let's say he makes a bunch of mistakes, he's the weakest link. You have a question. I think the Dallas Cowboys are asking themselves that right now. Like, uh, Dak Prescott had a great wild card game, had his best game. Against that 49ers defense, he didn't look good. He looked in over his head. He, his eyes were wide. I wondered about the Cowboys. I wondered if the Cowboys had a quarterback problem moving forward like, you know, but I think the Niners defense will do that to you. Let's see what Brock Purdy does in the next 2 games. If they get to the Super Bowl, let's see how he performs cuz I do think that question could be answered. I think he's got a future somewhere. But I think you have an idea here with Debo Samuel, with Christian McCaffrey, with Mitchell, with George Kittle, with, you know, the 49ers uh, you know, weapons that I think there are a lot of quarterbacks that could play in that system. It makes me sad for a lot of those QBs like Marcus Mariota, Joey Harrington, guys over the years that got picked high and got thrown into the fire, didn't have a lot around them. Gosh, you could have put any of those guys in this Niners system right now. They would have thrived. Like, you know, it, it's a system, and Purdy's playing well. you got to give him credit. But I think um, he looks like a little bit of an upgrade over Jimmy Garoppolo, but – you got Trey Lance coming back. I don't know. I, I would feel a lot better if I'm the Niners because I think they were facing kind of an off season with, you know, are they going to have to go out and get a Tom Brady for a year and try to get Trey Lance, let him sit a little bit, and and that now they're looking at, hey, will Brock Purdy and Trey Lance be enough if you bring him into camp next year? And I think they'd feel pretty confident about that, but let's see these next two games. Sam's in Vancouver. Sam, what do you see in the playoffs?
11: Hey, first, well, um, I wanted to uh, say with the Buffalo Cincinnati, I mean, Cincinnati made it all the way to the AFC championship last year. And I think everybody ripped wrote them off a um, little bit of uh, I don't want to say disrespect, but I think Burrow kind of took that. He's got the swagger. He's earned it. Um, but I really want to focus on the uh, the Niners and Eagles i just been kind of doing my stats. I've been up since 4.30 this morning and just kind Good. of seeing Somebody uh, had the it. winning and loss record comparison between the two pretty even. Um, looking at the last bit of the schedule, like the last, let's say, when Brock Purdy came in, um, I, I believe that uh, the Niners played a tougher game, uh, better, a little bit better opponents. Um, the Eagles just went in um, at home um, a week's uh, rest and beat, congratulations, Daniel Jones and the New York Giants. Um, I think this weekend's game going to be really good. The thing with Brock Purdy is, um, I I I I hear a little bias with Judah and Peter with uh, not liking the Forty ers um, Yeah, they, they hate the Niners. You know, so they're just yep, they're waiting yeah. for him to do what he's going to do, like waiting for those picks to do. I think yesterday was Brock's bad game. And I think we're going to go to Philadelphia do that. I also wanted to uh, look back and see what the media was saying about Tom Brady in 2001 when Bledsoe got injured and all of a sudden this guy came around with that. Was the bias still like, oh, man, well, you know, we're waiting for him to fail. Everybody's waiting for Brock to fail. And uh, he's got the experience in college. He's not going to be another Montana or anything, but he is looking really, really good for what he's got. And the situation he's been thrown in, and uh, I just I can't say enough of how proud I am of my Niners right now. And uh, You I, might I be biased as well,
1: Sam. We might both be biased, but I, uh, I agree that Judah and Peter are both haters.
4: <laughs> I agree. Definitely not me, though.
1: Uh, let's leave it here. Uh, tweet at me. Give me your picks. I tweeted out my picks. Get on the record. We'll talk a little bit about the sunshine that is needed in the Pac-12 conference. And we have the five at five coming up. Anna Anna's gonna do all five of those, yeah? Yeah. You're fired up. She's fired up.
0: Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 the game.
1: Coming up, uh we have the 5 at 5 at the top of the hour. Um I got to ask you, Stephen, you were uh, at the Blazers debacle last night. Uh and you brought your kid. Really sorry your kid had to see that, but also you got to see LeBron.
4: Yeah, it was a debacle. Uh you know, and it was a weird game because the Lakers got up 18 to 4. And uh, my son, he, he was happy because LeBron went off and he likes LeBron, but he was also sad because the Blazers were down by 18-4. He turns to me and goes, oh, man, I don't think the Blazers are going to win today. And then at halftime, the Blazers are up by 25. And he turns to me and goes, I think I was wrong. I think the I think the Blazers are going to win. And then it turns out, yeah, LeBron goes off and uh, scores a bunch and the Blazers lose the game. But it, what was fun, John, is... Like I said, going into the game, he likes LeBron. He's one of his favorite players. So for that reason, like, he kind of likes the Lakers. He thinks they're kind of fun because it's LeBron James' team. But by about halftime, you could tell his attitude switched towards the Lakers, and he became a true Blazer fan. And he was hating the Lakers. He was booing them. He was cheering for the Blazers. He was getting after the refs. Like, he wanted to start a refs-you-suck chant, it, it was just good times all around, and it was, a tr- it was a true Blazer experience. <laughs> and as a dad, I was proud of him because, you know, he realized, no, we're not supposed to like the Lakers if we're a Blazer fan. They're the rivals. I can like LeBron still, but you got to hate the Lakers.
1: I love that. And so you actually saw him make the transition from I don't know what I'm supposed to do here, and he figured out his allegiance.
4: Yeah, you know, the little 8-year-old brain, like, it clicks in for you, and he just goes all in, and now, you know, now he doesn't like the Lakers, so it's great. <laughs> now he's a blazer fan Blazers. Uh, uh, about, he's a poor blazer fan yeah uh,
1: how about chauncey Billups after the game um it was it was a testy post game uh Damian lillard kind of pushed back to the you know against some questions in the post game we'll play, we'll play that coming up but uh you also had um you know chauncey Billups saying essentially this is this loss is due to the fact that i've got young players who haven't been there and they're not experienced and I was a little disappointed that he didn't own it a little bit. He's basically – is he throwing his team under the bus, Peter? Is he throwing the team under the bus by saying, I've got young players. That's why we blew the 25-point lead.
8: Yeah. I mean, just yes, he is. When when he says this was due to inexperience, well, who's inexperienced? I mean, Damian Lillard is an 11-year vet. Yusuf Nurkic, eight years. Jeremy Grant, what, seven years? Even Anthony Simons. We're talking fourth, fifth year in the league. I mean, they're running your sets. You're the one going small and then deciding to do drop coverage at the same time and letting LeBron just waltz to the basket. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he did in expanded context, sort of own it as well. He sort of said, look, I've got to raise my hand too, you know, when talking about this. But ultimately, you can blame a lot of things. Inexperience is not one of them.
1: Spurs come to Moda Center tonight. They'll play the Blazers. Uh, this is a team that's 5-15 and 15 on the road. By the way, Anna, you grew up as a Blazer fan. When you hear Stephen's son kind of come into grips with fandom, <laughs> you get a little smile there.
9: It's a, It's another generation. Yeah. Welcome, welcome to the club. Welcome I mean, I mean the, the
1: Dippin' Dots helped too. You know, at least he got
9: some Dippin' Dots. I was happy to see that. Yeah.
1: Why, why, why not steer him into the Nuggets or the Grizzlies? No, or, stop it. Or the Dallas Mavericks, Stephen? Because we're suffer from like a
9: true Portland parent, kid. Yeah,
1: parent this kid.
4: We're from Portland. You have to. You have to love yeah. him. I've had to stop deal. It. I've had to deal with this garbage for years. Now he's got to deal with it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> He's got to <laughs> suffer too. Yeah. That's right. Um, I, I don't want those best my kids. You got to suffer through like me. Nuggets.
1: Right. What are you talking kind of think this is an important game tonight for the Blazers? Like, you know, if if they're going to make a run for the playoffs, this is the kind of game you win if you're going to get into the uh Wembyama sweepstakes. Uh this is a game you lose. Like this tonight is like I'd like to see which direction is this team moving. Okay, the Lakers are now in front of you. The Spurs are definitely behind you.
4: You know, you can't you, you can't play even with them at home. How important is it tonight to get a W? I mean, that's the thing. It is it is getting to that point. It's not a must win yet, but you look at the standings. I mean, they're a game and a half now out of that 10 seed, which is the play in like I think the goal was hopefully to get to that 6 seed and not even have to deal with that play-in tournament. You're a game and a half behind that. I mean, it it's getting to that point, John, where it's not a must-win, but you got to start figuring out what you're doing. And this is a game where you need to win if you want to start winning games and try to make the playoffs. The Spurs are not a very good team. The Spurs are definitely tanking for Wimbenyama. Yama. If you can't beat the Spurs tonight, man, I, I, something, something's got to change. And I think it's got to be something drastic. But at the same time, the Blazers don't have a lot of assets to do anything. So that's the real problem is the assets aren't there to make a big change. But something little at least has to change if they lose this game too. There's only in the win column, I think
1: there's five teams that have fewer wins than them out of 30. Like, you know, they like percentage-wise, win percentage-wise, you know, you you put them in front of Toronto or the Wizards, but uh the Bulls even, but it's that's where they're at right now. And I think it's it's dire and I think it, you guys both talked about this in the last couple of weeks. I asked you, is it more the roster, is it more coaching, and you both had the same answer. I think everyone could see that the roster is not great, and the coach isn't going to get a lot out of the roster. Like, this is a recipe for missing the playoffs. Like, I think, and, and Damian Lillard's frustrated. I'm going to play his clip where he's pushing back against the media in the postgame news conference. I'll, I'll play it coming up at the 5 o'clock hour. But, guys, the frustration that Lillard had in the post game. I can't imagine what he's really feeling if he's starting to let that out. You can see it kind of popping out here and there, and we'll debate whether or not it was a fair question, not fair question, whatever in the five o'clock hour.
8: But guys, are you seeing frustration from Lillard? Yes, uh, he's saying all the right things, and he, he now he's level-headed while he's saying this. I mean, because we—we could t- we could debate Lillard's skill or his place among NBA greats, but one thing he is is he's—he's he's pretty calm, cool, and collected. So even though he's still delivering it in a measured way, the cracks, they're, they're there. He's frustrated.
4: These are games that they should be winning, and they're not. But the thing is, is and I love Damian Lillard, but he didn't play great last night either. Nope. Like It's nope. not like he's been the problem solver that he once was. And I'm not saying that he's not great, and I'm not saying that he's not the best player on the team, but maybe he's not as good as he once was, and it's catching up to him where he can't just – Carry is he lost? Is he lost something? You think he's lost something? I don't know that he's lost something, but his jump shot hasn't been good. He's under thirty percent his last ten or fifteen games. Like the shooting is a little down in his career. So I think he's maybe lost a slight, a little slight something, but I don't think it's gone. Like I still think he's probably top fifteen in the NBA rather than top ten. I also think
1: he's at that point of his career, age wise. When you look at you know guards in the NBA. He's 32. He'll be 33 in the summer. That's where you see the fall off. I think, I think you know. It's not, I don't think he's going to get better
4: in the next couple of years. No, I, I, I I've done that know. research historically. The only guy that's ever gotten better is Chris Paul at this age. Every other point guard, whether it's Isaiah Thomas, whoever it is, they get worse at Damian Lillard's age.
1: I can remember Kevin Pritchard back in the day when he was the GM. He put together this, this very similar research chart, and you know, unless you were a, a center you weren't improving in your 30s. It was all a decline. And so they were looking for younger guards in their mid to late 20s, and they were looking for centers that were 31, 32. But um, I think it's going to be interesting. The 5 at 5 is coming up. We'll hear much more on this topic next.
0: B.F.F.T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth.
1: We were out of town for a couple days. Dogs were happy to see uh, the kids when we walked in the door last night. I noticed none of the dogs came running to me, Anna. What's the deal?
9: Shocking. What's the deal? They know.
1: They know. I, I'm talking about them on there. Are they listening? Interesting. Okay. I love the dogs, but uh-huh. they love the kids more. Yeah. I get no, no love in return. Yeah. That's what we're saying.
9: Gotta pet them once in a while.
1: I uh, I actually I pet the dogs. <laughs> I pet the dogs. Only if the kids and I are watching. It's that like was a very show pet. Let me try that again. Yeah. Let me try that again. I pet them. <laughs> <laughs> Not believable. <laughs> Look at me as I'm being nice to our four-legged family no. friend. <laughs> Kids. Kids, the eight-year-old literally will cry if we're going to leave town. I don't get it. Yeah. Uh, she'll be in tears. I know. I think she took a lock of the dog's hair with her. Strange. No know where she gets that. Uh, let's do the five at five. We're going to do this new format where Anna tees it up. She'll give the news, and it makes sense. She's the news anchor. And then I will sit back and react, give my opinions. I'm ready. Let's do it.
0: The Five at Five.
1: Anna's going to go. Number one, Anna. The number one story here at 5 o'clock.
9: Well, we were just talking about Damian Lillard and his frustrations, but it looks like he is rekindling an old feud with Patrick Beverly. This is something that has been going on for a while, but they've been kind of trading barbs since the game. On Twitter, apparently after the game, uh, a reporter was talking to Patrick Beverly about Lillard's 5 of 17 shooting performance and described it as a slow shooting night. Beverly responded that if he would have cooked me, you would have said I couldn't guard him, but he misses a couple shots and it's a slow shooting night. He also, I guess, during the game, I don't know, Stephen, if you caught this news, you were there, but he was kind of mocking the Dame Time thing, too. So. Yeah, he did, I saw yeah.
4: That. Yeah, at the end of the game when the Lakers really took a, took advantage, he was walking around the entire court just tapping his wrist.
1: Ooh. Dame Time. Yeah. See, but that's Beverly's thing. He's always trolling. Are you done with that? that? No. No, go ahead. No. Yeah.
9: Um, so Damien uh, was responding to Beverly's comments on Twitter and called him a con man. Flip from above the rim. What does that mean?
1: Bernie Ma- Bernie Max character oh. in uh, Above the Rim.
9: Oh, yeah. okay. Thank you. That's
1: a 90s reference. There, you there. go. Yeah. Okay. Um, now uh, I'm done. Go ahead. Beverly then fired a tweet off today uh, a little while ago saying, he mad, entertaining. <laughs> um, they face each other again in Portland on February 13th. Get your tickets. Uh, Lakers. <laughs> and your popcorn. Lasers. Two things. A, I think Patrick Beverly, this is his game. This is what he does. He gets you uh, not thinking about basketball, thinking about him. He's, I think, the exact kind of player that you hate when he's on the other team. you probably love him if he's on your team in your uniform. Uh, I'll be really curious to see. Only one of two things can happen here. I think Lillard comes back, and he either struggles, and there's a chippy game, or Lillard goes into one of those um, psychotic – 50 point i'm focused and i'm going to make you regret doing that mindsets peter sampson and and steven how do you vote does lillard go for 50 in the next outing or does Beverly win the rematch?
8: Uh, traditionally, I'd say he goes for fifty, just like he did in the bubble when uh, when uh, Beverly was talking a bunch of junk. But I don't know the bubble. Lillard's walking through the door. I don't know. I don't think he's necessarily lost something per se. He's he's in a shooting funk right now. I don't I don't see it happening.
4: Yeah, I. After all I just said about him the last segment, I probably would bet on Dame scoring fifty. Like I'm not going to bet against the guy, especially against Beverly. He hates that guy.
1: Number two in our five at five. Anna, go.
9: Also entertaining, angry Cowboys fans smashing their televisions after their brutal loss to the 49ers. (laughs) Uh, I didn't know this, but the Cowboys loss yesterday means that Dallas hasn't made an NFC championship game since January of 96. And uh, I guess the Cowboys fans are pretty fed up. There's tons of videos today of fans punching their TVs. Breaking them. Shouldn't do that. uh, Taking them outside, stomping on them, destroying them, running it over with their truck, tossing it in the trash while exhibiting a profane rant. They're very frustrated. But why take it out on your television?
1: It's really... Yeah, don't do that. But it was really interesting to me to kind of watch this thing. Like, you know, this is a 12-win Cowboys team. It's not a bad team. It's a really good team. And I thought Mike McCarthy... Uh, came back this year and, save for maybe some clock management issues here or there, had a pretty good season, got a lot out of his team. Um, Last night, you know, they have a running back get hurt. Dak Prescott played a really bad first half. I think two really bad interceptions for him. But the thing that got me the most was at the end of the game with 76 yards to go for a potential tying touchdown. 49ers call a timeout. Dallas had all the time in the world to come up with a play, and the final play...
2: Final play, it looks like a penalty. Prescott over the middle of the turret. Gets
1: smoked right away, and that'll do it. The 49ers back to the championship game. I was rather let down, even as a Niner fan, that that was it for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, you know, they came in like the Cowboys, and they went out like the Lambs. I mean, it 19-12... You're not going to win many NFL playoffs games scoring 12 points. Uh, I don't blame Dallas Cowboys fans for being disappointed, but the 49ers seem to have their number in the last few meetings. Number three in the 5 at 5. Go. Remember last
9: fall when there was that altercation between uh, the Michigan Wolverines and Michigan State football players, and the narrow tunnel was identified as part of the problem? Well, They're trying to resolve that. The University of Michigan plans to make renovations to the stadium that will widen the tunnel access on game days. The renovations will remove about 45 seats from the stadium to make the tunnel more accessible to players and staff on football Saturdays.
1: Hmm. Interesting. The tunnel's not the problem, though. (laughs) The tunnel is not the problem. The problem was the behavior of the players in the tunnel. Now... Michigan Stadium's tunnel was crafted in the likeness of the, uh, the the Roman Coliseums. like that's how they came up with this thing and if you know that going into the stadium, I covered the Big Ten in the late 90s, you know that going in you see it. It's like here come the gladiators out of this lone tunnel at Michigan Stadium. it that's what it looks like. but the problem's not the tunnel widening the tunnel, taking out some seats is not the issue. The issue was the behavior of the people that were coming through the tunnel. Like, this is this is stupid to me. Well, I guess the decision was also
9: triggered by a separate incident at that same game last fall yeah. when the Spartans coach, Mel Tucker, he had his head actually touched by a Wolverines fan as he passed oh, under boy. the tunnel. So that fan's been banned from future games of the stadium. They're going to widen the tunnel, and they're going to say that everyone will get along better with more space.
1: Yeah, look, uh, look, the... Uh, there's lots of tunnel antics that go on. There's a lot of there's a lot of hype that happens around the tunnels. They put up smoke. They have signage that's around the tunnels. Often the visiting team will have to go through like this garbage looking tunnel psychologically with the fans right on top of you. Uh, I've seen a bunch of tunnels. The tu- the actual architecture is never the problem. It this was an issue, and if somebody's touching the opposing head coach's head. They need to have more security around there. But the the big issue was just the behavior of people. You know? Remove the people. You don't need to do anything <laughs> with this tunnel. Next, number four. Four, we are yep. five at four. Five. We four out of five. Here we go. Four out of
9: five. Okay. This one's in the conspiracy theory bucket, okay. but I'm going to talk about it because it's just entertaining to me that it would even come up. Uh, DeMar Hamlin, his presence at the Bills playoff game fueled some conspiracies on the old interwebs, some people suggesting that a body double was used in his place, Mm. that he wasn't actually there. There was video of him attending the Bills and Bengals game yesterday at Highmark Stadium, which would be his first time back at an NFL game since he went into cardiac arrest on January 2nd. But it was sort of the way that he was framed in that video where he was wearing a mask and a hoodie and sunglasses. So, like, with all those different accessories and the bad weather in Buffalo, it was difficult to actually see him and identify him. He didn't speak to the media, so some people are suggesting that a stand-in was used. (laughs) That he wasn't actually there. They
1: used a body double?
9: (laughs) So far,
1: For DeMar people close
9: to Demar say that it's nonsense.
1: Well, there is there is a view, a side view from inside the press box mm-hmm. of him, but it doesn't help you much, right? I don't know. Mask hoodie. It's thirty degrees face wasn't seen clearly <laughs> <laughs> the same people uh, with tinfoil well, here's hats the issue i don't think the, cons- the the real conspiracy isn't whether or not demar hamlin was there it's the conspiracy is why wasn't josh allen and his teammates there <laughs> the bills didn't show up either they got beat <laughs> they had and, stand-ins uh, as well yeah, i don't know who was at quarterback that wasn't the team that everybody was picking to get to the super bowl but i have love for demar so i'm gonna believe that he was there Finally, number five in our Five at Five. Anna. This is courtesy
9: of uh, Steven. Okay. Get ready for pickleball to be coming to a sports bar near you. ESPN and CBS have agreed to pickleball broadcast deals. Hundreds of hours of coverage of this trending sport, the Association of Pickleball of Professionals, announced today. They are delighted to welcome CBS and ESPN to the world of pickleball. Wow, more than 36.5 million Americans played pickleball last year. How did they get that number anyway?
1: I don't know. Somebody's out there counting them. One by one. Watching the balls go back and forth. Um uh, just how many complaints
4: the- they got from neighbors about this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, here's my prediction for 2023 in pickleball. Oh no! This sport is going indoors. The uh, the parks and the uh, neighbors are all complaining about it. Not just in the state of Oregon. I've been telling people about this in my travels. I was in, uh, in I was travels. in Arizona <laughs> Thursday through whatever and. I talked to some people on Press Row. I said, you're not going to believe what people are doing in Oregon. They're going to their city council, and they're complaining about the noise at the pickleball courts. And they go, yeah, it's happening in our neighborhood too. Mm-hmm. This is happening all over the place. So pickleball in 2023, going indoors that, in a big way. Okay, That's my prediction.
9: Either that, or cities has to have to construct huge sound barriers you, they have, around they, the no, outdoor No, they put course. up. They
1: put up sound barriers. It doesn't work. The decibel level that the pickleball generates when it comes off the paddle, or is it a racket paddle, <laughs> is is uh, above the range that the uh, sound walls can no can knock down. Yeah, you've
9: studied this. <sighs> you've researched.
1: This? I might. I'm going to write about this. I'm into it.
9: I can't wait.
1: I'm into this because it. I think it underscores the quirky nature of humanity. Suburban humanity. It's suburban, you know, first world problems. You know? Mm -hmm. Like, you don't... They're not going to have this problem in third world countries. They're not going to be like, you know, we can't get... The neighbors are upset about the pickleball noise. No, this is an us problem, okay? (laughs) We're all going to have to work through... This is
9: a a very American problem.
1: I feel like I should just stop the show right now... And we should go out and we should just buy up warehouses all over the Portland metropolitan area. And we will corner the market on every possible place that pickleball could be played. And then we'll just sit back and count the money. I think that's <laughs> I think that's where this is all going. I think this is a sport that started off as, hey, it's a leisure sport. It's a little slower than tennis. You have to chase the ball all over the place. And, you know, you could talk to people, you know, in between your games. You could play this game with your wife. I've heard people say that. You know, you could play this, Anna, and you could play this game. Uh, and now it's like, you know, the neighbors are pissed. we got to go somewhere quiet to have this game. So keep an eye on pickleball. I think it's going inside. It's going to be an indoor sport in 2023. Okay. That's the five at five. Uh, coming up, I want to talk about the Pac-12 I've been I've been thinking about this and I wrote about it today at com. but Larry Scott the former commissioner of the Pac-12 he's causing another hangover find out more about it next
0: You've got the home of the truth back to the bald faced truth with John Kansano on 750 the game Oh, we started
1: today's show talking a lot about Bill Shonley, uh, the legendary Trailblazers broadcaster, the mayor of Rip City. We gave him that nickname on this radio show many years ago, and Bill Shonley uh, has done a number of interviews with us. Um, Before I get into the Pac-12 and all the sunshine that the Pac-12 needs, I want to give you a uh, clip of Bill Shonley and I talking about his favorite Christmas movies an interview we did around christmas time he was in studio i asked him is there a movie christmas themed movie that he likes here's sean's like if i say sean's let's watch a christmas movie what do we want to? are we watching jimmy stewart and it's a wonderful life yeah dotty gives me a bad time about that what do you want to watch
5: that show again well it comes around every year (laughs) it's a great show dotty honey i want to see that yeah I love it. I know a lot of the lines, and then you have to refresh your memory when yeah. the season comes about, but, yeah, that's one of my all-time favorites.
1: Bill Shanley talking about Jimmy Stewart. Murray, Mary, and it's a wonderful life. Uh, he had a lot to say about Jerome Kersey as well. I'll play that one coming up later in the show, uh, the passing of Jerome Kersey, and dear friend of his, uh, Bill Shanley passed away Saturday at the age of 93. If you missed the first hour of this show, I encourage you to grab the podcast and give it a listen. It's a lot of Bill Shanley in his own words and his own voice. Uh, Today at johnconzano.com, I wrote a column about the Pac-12 conference. Crazy development late last week. We talked about the news of it last week, and I've sorted through it over the weekend. But for people who are Pac-12 conference fans, you know that the tenure of Larry Scott, the former Pac-12 commissioner, uh, wasn't easy. And it it now comes with a hangover. On Friday, the conference terminated Mark Shukin, the Pac-12 network president. Also terminated Brent Willman, the Pac-12's chief financial officer. Now, Willman previously was the CFO of just the Pac-12 network. He was promoted to the Pac-12's overall CFO in uh, summer of 2017. Now, I want to go back a little bit for Pac-12 fans and just ask you to think about the tenure of Larry Scott. Now, I wrote about this today. I, I went way back. I went like spring of 2019, Larry Scott, I remember... I was in Vegas for the Pac-12 tournament. I was nosing around because the Pac-12 presidents and chancellors were meeting. And they were holding this meeting at the Aria Resort and Casino. And I had a source tell me, you ought to see Larry Scott's suite. $7,500 a night hotel room that he booked for himself in Vegas. Now, Scott would later argue, well, it wasn't really $750, $7,500 a night. Excuse me, $7,500 a night. Uh, It was more part of the package that MGM offered to the Pac-12 conference. And, hey, as the commissioner, I get the nice room. But he forgot the optics. He forgot about the layoffs. He forgot about the fact that his members were complaining because they weren't getting distributions in the media rights world that we're also familiar with now. Uh, Even in 2019, they were beginning to fall behind, and I was working on this big series. And so, uh, unfortunately for Larry Scott, I found out he was staying at the two-bedroom Sky Villa, uh, Sky Suite uh, in the Aria Resort and Casino. 24-hour butler service, private elevator, marble jacuzzi soaking tub, fully stocked bar, a meeting room, a powder room. This is not a normal hotel room, but Larry Scott got it. And in 2019, and after I wrote that column, he was scrambling around, he was in damage control mode, and so was Mark Shukin, the head of the Pac-12 Networks, because I also wrote uh, about Shukin. Now, you get an idea. Like, we all know now, because it's been unveiled, what what was going on with these guys. Larry Scott was... Jaunting around the country on a private plane. He was running up a bunch of expenses. I was told by insiders at the conference that Larry Scott, there was no expense policy when it came to the commissioner. Basically, he had uh, the authority to do what he wanted to do when it came to expenses, and he was spending like none other. Shukin was doing the same thing. The head of the PAC-12 Networks was living in Southern California. Get this, living in Southern California. He had a house, he had a family live by the beach, and they hired him for $840,000 a year in base salary. They also gave him more than $300,000 a year in bonuses. So he's getting a million, million one. And he was told, you don't have to move to the Bay Area. You can commute. So what Mark Shukin was doing was the Pac-12 was paying for chartered flights, allowing the head of the Pac-12 networks to wake up at his home in Southern California. And worked later that day in San Francisco. They also rented him an apartment right down by the PAC-12 offices in downtown San Francisco. It was ridiculous. And staff members at the conference uh, figured out that he had this apartment. They figured out he was chartering, flying back and forth. And it very quickly became a source of frustration for a lot of employees of the PAC-12 networks who were bunking up two and three to a place... You know, they're living in San Francisco like a lot of the staff members could not afford to be there. It was just a bad situation, bad optics, bad leadership, bad situation, because that apartment that Shukin had was often empty. Like he wouldn't commute on a lot of days or he wouldn't spend the night. And so the staff members were upset. And I remember at the time, this was March of of 2018, 2019 rather, uh, the Larry Scott, the Pac-12 commissioner, sends a memo out to his staff in response to the column I wrote about him staying at the $7,500 a night suite, basically saying, "Hey, it was a comp. I'm the commissioner. It was part of the deal. It's not like we were actually paying $7,500 for the suite. That's what it normally would have charged, you know, somebody who was paying for it." But he doesn't. He's just so tone deaf. He doesn't understand how that flies with conference members who are making and trying to make a living wage in the Bay Area, watching this guy jaunt around, watching Shukin jump on the chartered plane, fly back and forth, leaving this apartment empty. And oh, by the way, six months later, the conference uh, takes 79 employees and furloughs them. And 15 more employees are laid off. And they say, oh, it's the pandemic. We don't have the money for it. Like, that was bad enough. But when you compound that with the idea that Larry Scott, paid himself and his inner circle, $4 million in bonuses, $4 million in bonuses after laying off those employees. It's just mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. Now you have the PAC-12 firing Shukin and the CFO following an investigation that reveals that they were aware that the PAC-12 network's substantially overpaid, got got overpaid by a distributor like Dish Network or Comcast. Somebody overpaid the Pac-12 Network. We don't know who yet. And they kept that information from getting to the Pac-12 presidents and chancellors. Now, I 100% believe that Mark Shukin and Brent Willman are the fall guys in this in this scenario. I absolutely believe that they probably turned to Larry Scott and said, I have a hard time believing they didn't they would not keep this to themselves because there's just no real reason to keep this information yourself I think they have a hard time going hey we owe fifty million dollars to a distributor like you know we they overpaid us I, I I believe Larry Scott probably was either confused didn't know what to do with the information or maybe Larry Scott thought this isn't gonna go over well with my bosses I'll figure it out later or Mary B. Larry Scott thought, well, I have bonuses that are tied to my performance, and we don't need this right now. I'm trying to get a contract extension. But the, it appears that the Pac-12 ordered an audit, found out that there was a possible $50 million that would need to be paid back, and then didn't tell anybody about it. That's what it looks like. It's bizarre. Order an audit, learn there's an issue, then say nothing and do nothing. Now... We're being told that none of the people involved here, and I don't don't know if you care about this or not. Maybe just say, hey, I just care about football. I care about basketball. But there's a trickle-down effect to your university where, you know, your university, Oregon, Oregon State, Washington, Washington State, whoever you root for, your university is going to have to pay this money back. Like the Pac-12's books are not as good as, you know, we thought they were, and they weren't all that good to begin with. So – I I don't know if Larry Scott and his cronies were worried about qualifying for their bonuses. I don't know if they were concerned that the presidents and chancellors wouldn't renew their contracts. I don't know if there was something else going on. There is a lot to unpack here, and I'm just getting started with it. And so is John Wilner, the Bay Area News Group. I just, there's something not right about what happened. I want to know what Larry Scott knew. I want to know when he knew it. I'm awfully curious about this. And I keep thinking about something Larry Scott said in 2018. I was at Levi Stadium in Santa Clara. I was watching Washington and Utah play for the Pac-12 championship. People may remember Washington and Utah playing that game. The Huskies won that game, tight game. But in the pregame, Scott said in the news conference, I was sitting right there in the second row, Scott said in the news conference, you know, we're not just a conference, we're a media company. You're a media company? You're a media company that... Didn't know that you owed one of your distributors $50 million? Or wait, maybe you did know and you just didn't share that with your bosses? I just think the Pac-12, like, tried to be a media company, tried to be a conference, didn't do either one of those things very well, it appears. And now George Klyovkov, the new commissioner, he's inherited this. Like, I talked to somebody today who's in that world, in in the major college athletics world, and this person said, Oh, George, I, I can't imagine what George is going through. All George Klyovkov became the PAC-12 conference commissioner, then found out UCLA and USC are leaving. Larry Scott, I think, paved the way for that one too. Now has a scandal in his hand, and he's had to fire the president of the PAC-12 networks, fired the conference's chief financial officer. Um, this is a circus. This is a circus, and it's brought to you by the ringleader, Larry Scott. There is nobody else. Bring on the dancing bears. Larry Scott is in the center ring. Uh, Let's put the spotlight on this thing. I want you to leave it here.
0: Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
1: We'll play some Punch It Audio coming up. Uh, we've been talking a lot about Bill Shonley, the legendary Blazers broadcaster passed away over the weekend. I know that you know. Um, I wish Sean's could have uh, been alive to, to see the response to his passing. I'm sure he's up there somewhere smiling uh, with all the people who have remembered him. I, I know that uh, over the years I loved having him on this show. Um, Sometimes Sean's would just reach out and he'd say, "Hey, uh, you you know, uh, I'm due for an appearance," and I, like, I would clear the deck for Bill Shanley. He lost a lot of friends when you live that long. I know uh, elderly people or older people, senior citizens, will often lament uh, how many friends have passed. If you had a grandfather, a father, a neighbor. Somebody in your life who's 70, 80, 90 years old, you probably in your life had an occasion where they showed you a photograph and they had a smile on their face and they said, oh, here's that time we did this. And then there's a pause. And then I know my grandfather used to do this. He'd show me a picture and he'd say, they're all dead now. And and like there was no follow-up after. It was just a realization as he looked at the photo that they're all gone. And that happens if you live long enough. And I think Bill Shonley... Um, Over time, you know, conducted memorial services for Dale Schluter and Jerome Kersey and Kevin Duckworth and, uh, you know, Harry Glickman and so many other people that were near and dear to him. I asked him about losing Kersey and some of those other Blazer greats one time in an interview. Here's Bill Shonley. On this show, I was yesterday going through our audio vault of all of our interviews of the last um, year or two, in three years really, and I came across interviews that I did with Jerome Kersey just yeah. prior to his passing, and I thought it was really interesting. Um, I just there was a part part where he was laughing, and I kept replaying it because he had such a great laugh. Yeah, he
5: did, yes.
1: You're you're in your mid 80s, uh-huh. I'll say. Mid. 86. Let's call it mid-80s. That's fine. Thank and you. you've seen people pass. Dale Schlitter pass, Jerome Kersey pass, Duckworth. Maurice Lucas. Maurice Lucas. Too many, huh? Yep. Yep, too many. You, don't, you can't prepare yourself for that, can you? Oh, not at all. You never know.
5: Someone can be ill for a long, long time, and it's going to happen. But in a lot of cases, for those guys, it happened in a
1: moment. You remember the last time you talked to Jerome?
5: Oh, yes. Uh, The day that he passed away, about three hours prior to uh, his passing, we were over at the office at the Moda Center. He had a gig to do, and so did I. And uh, we saw one another, as we did most every day uh, there. And he told me what he was going to do, and I told him what I was going to do. And he said, he put his arm around me, he said, Sean's. Have a good day. He didn't have a very good day. That was it. That was it.
1: Bill Shonley talking about the loss of Jerome Kersey. That one hit hard. I think it hit a lot of Blazer fans hard because Kersey was, it was his smile. It was, Peter, you know, and, and Stephen, you know, like when you think about Jerome Kersey, I see that big smile that he always seemed to have on his face and this was a guy that was way too young, you know, and it was uh, it was uh, I think really sad in that way to see Bill Shanley, who was much older than Kersey, uh essentially put to rest his 52 year old friend and a guy who was emblematic of really Blazer fan, you know, Blazer fans who remember Jerome Kersey, you know. This was a guy who went to Division Two school and then, you know, Longwood College and ends up in the NBA as a second-round pick with the Blazers. And, like, I think Blazer fans loved him for that.
8: Yeah. yeah. I mean, an absolute fan favorite. And it was especially hard for Trailblazers fans, too, because, I mean, obviously, 52 years old passed away, it's too young. But it was so unexpected, and there's, it's never— a proper time to pass away, but like even with Duckworth like he had the health issues and it was very sad But you could at least Understand you know what sort of led to that that happening where with Kersey. It was it was completely out of nowhere
4: Yeah, yeah. with Kersey. I mean talk about like just being out and about in town Like he he was part of Rip City and part of Portland as well I mean, I, I remember working uh, at Costco. He would be shopping at Costco all the time Like he <laughs> would just be talking to everyone uh, like at the cash registers and stuff like just being super nice and yeah, I think this being the second round pick being overlooked. He wasn't a good shooter, but like he got by on his athleticism, like he was just a complete fan favorite. And uh, you know, him and Clyde running the break, just it was just showtime, uh, with those two. I, I think he was, you know, one of the favorites uh here in Portland for sure.
1: And Maurice Lucas, that one hit hard too for Sean's, because, you know, I we watched Maurice Lucas and that great call, first of all, from nineteen seventy seven and Lucas squaring off with Daryl Dawkins, and it changed the trajectory of that, that series. And I, don't, I actually don't think the Blazers win the NBA title without that Game 2 moment where they stood up to Daryl Dawkins. They stood up to the 76ers, and it flipped the series on its head. I remember talking to Dr. Jack Ramsey on this, on this show about that moment, and he said that was the series. It was game two. We like we never stopped after that, and people may remember that who were around in '77. But um, to watch Maurice Lucas, you know, fight cancer, and he was such a warrior, and he was such, you know, he was so fierce, and that was hard too. Um, Kevin Duckworth passing away, uh, everybody knew that that Duck dealt with weight issues, um, and I don't think, and on Duckworth he was only 44, but I think. Part of Duckworth's passing, it made sense to people because they said, you know, he was carrying so much weight, and but the autopsy revealed that his death was caused by hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, Um, and he also had heart failure, but he had an enlarged heart, and he had issues with his heart, and nobody knew that, and so, but when I remember when Duckworth died. People saying, "Well, he was so heavy; he was carrying so much weight." Like it, I don't know why it made sense to people. I guess because this is a guy they saw play at 300 pounds, and they went, "He's a large human being." And sometimes big guys, you know, have trouble with heart trouble. And but um, just too many Blazers over the years, and and Bill Shonley you know, being the latest of them. Uh, I don't think it makes it any easier. And I think in some ways, like you say, you know, we all say he lived a good life, but. Still in the end there's a loss there that is left behind there's nobody coming behind him. It's like it's not like there's another Blazers broadcaster who would even suggest to anybody else that they want to fill Bill Shanley's shoes. I like I think Brian Wheeler when he came on in the wake of Shanley wa- wanted to be Brian Wheeler. And I think Travis Demers in the wake of Brian Wheeler wants to be Travis Demers. Like I don't think anybody's trying to be Bill Shanley cuz you just can't do it. You can't become that first broadcaster who was the voice of the team. it, it just not possible. Uh, coming up top of the hour, Peter Sampson in the Pulse. Peter, what are you going to talk about uh, top of the hour?
8: Yeah, I mean, we need to dive deeper into what's going on with the Trailblazers here. Uh, lineup change, is it going to happen tonight? It sounds like no, even though I have some ideas. I do want to get to the Damian Lillard comments. And I've still got a couple Bill Shonley stories uh, in my back nice. pocket that I didn't share today already.
1: Love it. Tom Brady, Dak Prescott, Patrick Mahomes, Shannon Sharp, all part of Punch It Audio. We're going to play it next.
0: Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
1: Oh, you heard Peter Sampson. They're going to talk about uh, the Blazers, the woes of the Blazers coming up top of the hour on The Pulse with Peter Sampson. Uh, Terry Stotts, are people uh are people waxing about how they miss Terry Stotts? You better believe it. Uh, uh I I suspect Peter will w- work some of that in coming up. If I could just spit it out, uh, <laughs> I was fine during the commercial break. I could talk fine. Mic starts, music starts, you know how it goes. Let's play some punched Audio. It's the best sound from all around. <laughs>
0: We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Fish Truth
8: Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little
11: snippets of sound. Hey,
8: it's time for Punch It Audio, presented by
0: First Call Heating and Cooling. Let's start with Patrick
1: Mahomes, right after the game over the weekend Patrick Mahomes uh, hurt towards the end of uh, the football game they advanced to the AFC championship game the Chiefs do but Patrick Mahomes on the field right after the game talking to Melissa Stark punch it clearly did not want to come out of the game you did not want to go in the locker room in the second quarter what happened there
4: yeah I did not want to I did not want to go and they kind of gave me the ultimatum of I wasn't going back in unless I went in there so uh, uh, they're, they're trying to take care of me we got a lot of great people over here but uh, it's, it's going to take a lot to keep me out of a football game
1: you know exactly what the injury is. You said you took x-rays. They were
4: negative. Yeah, x-rays are negative. They haven't diagnosed anything yet, but uh, I'll be good to go.
1: I'll be good to go. Ian Rappaport with an update uh, telling uh, reporters and telling the public today that Patrick Mahomes should play, but may be limited. Punch it. Yesterday and today is probably going to be a lot worse than it was during the game. Like The fact that he was able to go out there and play is awesome, but he's going through a lot of things emotionally, whatever else, being able to play is good, but, like, is he going to be limited Wednesday? I imagine he probably will be. Probably will be limited all week, I would say. Um, Andy Reid called it a tweak. That was a really good sign because that is an indication, at least, even though it's a high ankle, that it's not, like, an overly serious one. So I would expect him to play but maybe not be as mobile as he usually is. The point spread on this game currently has the Cincinnati Bengals getting a half a point or a point. Keep an eye on the spread. Keep an eye on that injury. It gives me pause. I like the Chiefs all along, all throughout the regular season, all the way through the playoffs. I kept saying Chiefs in the Super Bowl, Chiefs in the Super Bowl. I have flipped that pick today in part because of the injury to Mahomes, but also because the Bengals look so good. They just looked really good. In the last two weeks I like the momentum they have But keep an eye on that injury Meanwhile in the NFC The Cowboys are out But Dak Prescott Their quarterback Is talking Punch it
5: As I said I mean guys That, that played their asses off Defense who gave us An opportunity to win this game Who, who played there Who played hard Against a really Really good offense A really good team And um, for us to only put up The points that we did that, That's unacceptable And it starts with me And um, I, I've got to be better I mean that's No, no other way to your it
1: no way to sugarcoat it um two interceptions in the first half narrow loss Cowboys had a chance to win but I I think you got to give Dak a little bit of a break he gave the ball away twice against a really good defense that's given a bunch of people problems but I still think uh we all kind of expected that Brock Purdy might be the one to make mistakes in that game and it was Dak Prescott and Think about the interceptions that he had this season. Like, you know, it wasn't like that was uncharacteristic. Dak Prescott threw, I, I think it was 15 interceptions in the regular season. I think it tied for the league lead in picks among starters. It it just wasn't, you know, it, it, he's not a guy that takes care of the ball, I guess, is what I should be saying, in a way that, uh, that uh, you know, he's tied with Davis Mills for the most interceptions. In the NFL this season, that's 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 just not—it's not where you want to be. Uh, I know that, you know. I said this earlier in the show. I think Dallas has got to question this offseason. I don't think it's like a dire you have to replace Dak Prescott conversation, but I think Dallas has to ask itself: Is Dak Prescott the kind of quarterback that can get them to the next step? Twelve-win team, advance through the wild card weekend find their ceiling that's kind of where the Cowboys are right now Damian Lillard pushed back against the media in the postgame news conference last night this came in the wake of a loss to the Lakers really bad loss for the Blazers blew a 25 point halftime lead Lillard in the postgame was asked about the franchise direction is this franchise doing enough uh, you tell me, is this a fair question for Damian Lillard? And what do you make of his answer? Punch it!
10: I mean, I'm confused that why y'all asking me these questions right now, honestly. Um, I respect it, but, you know, the bottom line is, um, you know, we at the midway point of the season, and we struggling right now. You know, we not playing really well, um we've been in a lot of these games you know a lot of these none of these games are just like we getting blown away so I think as far as basketball goes there are things we can do to be better and we win some of these games but I think just I watch a lot of NBA games I'm looking around the league and um, every no there's no there's maybe one or two teams that when I watch them I'm like man hey you know that's a dangerous team but I'm not just looking around like nobody can be beat so um, you know, I think for people that are just on the on the outside looking in, the problems, you know, the struggles that we've had are obvious. But, you know, I don't think it's I don't think it's fair for y'all to be asking me these questions right now. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't I think that's kind of a weak move. Um You know, it's our team is struggling, you know, and I've been transparent about our struggles and stuff that we could do better, but y'all put y'all put that's y'all putting me in a position to to you know, answer questions that I don't think is cool, man. I understand. I understand. I understand. No, I understand that. But, you know, there, there's people that you can ask those questions to. You know what I mean? And even if, even if, even if it is on me or whatever, they could answer your questions. So even if they did ask me a question and I gave them my opinion, you know, I'm sure they're going to give you whatever answer that they give you based on what reality is. But I'm saying, I don't think it's cool. for You all that to, to be putting me in that position, you know, especially after a tough loss, we in a tough stretch like that ain't cool. You know what I mean? And I answer all y'all questions. And, you know, y'all, that's, to me, that, that feels like just a lack of respect to put me in that position. But
1: I don't, I don't agree with Lillard. I, look, I think I understand his frustration because he's only getting asked these questions after tough losses. But these are actually questions that I think the public wants to hear. And when you are the guy in your team and you're making the money that Lillard's making, $42 million plus this season, guess what? This is what comes with it. This is part of the deal. This is part of the, uh, when you sign that four-year $176 million extension, you're going to have media members in the wake of a a blown lead at halftime with everybody kind of wondering, like, is this franchise going to do what it needs to do at the deadline to make this team more competitive? Like, that's a question for Damian Lillard. I get I get his frustration with it. He's entitled to that. But, but, I, but I still think he has to hear the question. So I didn't mind the question, and I actually didn't mind the answer. Now, I don't want to hear this question every game. But... I think it's fair when you kind of hit these boiling points, especially the way they blew the lead last night. I think it's 100% fair for the reporter. Jason Quick's the reporter there of The Athletic. I think it's 100% fair that he asked the question because it's what people want to know. And that's that's the reporter's job. He's doing his job. So I don't think it's really fair for Lillard to go, hey, that's not fair. You're asking me that question. Guess what? It, you know, here's the here's the pushback. You, you signed the $176 million contract. You're the guy they're building around you. People want to know, are you frustrated? Is the team doing what's necessary? Uh, because you have to be frustrated if you're Damian Lillard. More on this with Peter Sampson coming up on The Pulse right here on 750 The Game. Just leave your dial right where it is. Peter Sampson will take you into more Blazer talk. That's coming up. We will be back tomorrow with another great show with big guests. Always something happening. The bald-faced truth, not here for a long time, just a good time. Keep it right here in Portland on 750 The Game.